You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the couch potatoes (laughs) i am alex and no we've not been just sitting around not recording episodes and shit we've been recording things but we can't release them yet because we're about to debut another show on the network (laughs) and we just got to get that show out there and then all the other episodes are going to make sense so hey we're back again (laughs) (laughs) because um yeah at some point uh we'll even have a bonus episode of this and i've already listened through it it was pretty fun but uh it is with chris uh mikey and another one of the uh co-hosts you've been hearing a little bit on uh triple c it was fucking exhausting uh dante <laughs> yeah but uh y'all were exhausted and i think uh one or two of y'all a little inebri- inebriated by that point one one of y'all drinking oh that's a uh, that's a. Uh how do you say it none of your fucking business (laughs) (laughs) there's your answer uh yeah so there was a bit of inebriation and tiredness going on so uh yeah powered through it like michael jordan in the fucking game six (laughs) (laughs) so at some point that's going to be coming out along with a bunch of other really fun things from that show so yeah we've been working and chris has also just been busy doing his thing but we're finally back in something good studios once again after our live stream and that was pretty fun uh if you guys want to check that out go over to the facebook page the video quality is a little choppy um mainly because i just wasn't fully prepared but we were just like fuck it let's do it anyway because uh a listener of ours dustin decided to send us a little care package in the mail um that included some interesting things that did not include wink uh something that we're going to be trying a little bit later on this episode is now going to be an ongoing taste test series uh because he really hooked us up with some interesting flavored things he did and uh last week we tried the original mountain dew hard seltzer and uh we still got four or three more to go through and this one is the mountain dew live wire i'm gonna say i haven't had live wire since about 2009 i knew exactly what the last time i had it was because it was when they did the uh it's before the re-release okay so, so live wire got for the people who don't know mountain dew live wire was eliminated from the shelves at one point all it was was mountain dew mountain dew cold red and that was it and then they did the whole blue and then the black one i think was a big popular it's one. black yeah yeah uh, which tasted like nerds candy i hated that one yeah but uh no recently livewire has been making a resurgence like it's stocked pretty well at my work actually like it's they don't even sell red man they just sell mountain dew and orange you know? yeah so yeah it's, this is gonna be a wild taste because i haven't had it in a very long time yeah and uh again as we've mentioned on the uh, previous episodes i am just not that much of a mountain dew fan though i was rather upset that of all the different hard seltzers and everything else we've tried that the mountain dew one was the least horrible it tasted like mountain dew 
I hated myself for admitting that it was not horrible. I think it's because they use a different kind of alcohol. And side note, for folks listening, this is a little bit of a deal for us because if you go to the uh, Hard Seltzer Mountain Dew website, you can't get this in North Carolina. Not yet. But no, uh, let's the obligatory crack the seal. Oh, yeah. I got immediately hit with like that orange smell right to the fucking dome. Oh yeah, this. Okay, I'm call. Oh, I'm calling it now. This is gonna be. Side note: In the future, guys, we will have a video component to this. We we don't expect you to just enjoy an audio medium of us taste testing stuff. We'll start. We'll start talking like this, so you can enjoy it better. But I will say this <laughs> up front before even tasting it: the smell is giving me um, just orange soda, like alcoholic crush See oh what yeah I that's, mean? that is orange flavored right there that, that is that is like orange crush right there this is gonna be interesting i'm not a yeah the, the, we're two for two on this i'm not a uh, mountain dew fan or an orange soda fan so gin gin let's see damn i think chris liked it he just downed his entire glass <sighs> smooth chemical draw right there uh Nope. I can't taste it. Can't taste it. Your taste buds are up. I'm fucked up. No, I can't taste the alcohol. It's too smooth. Oh, oh, I thought you were just saying you couldn't taste it in general. Oh, no. That the My hair get hit you a little more. <sighs> I will say, the people that designed the can mm. are tattoo artists. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm more upset that it didn't growl at me as soon as I fucking, as soon as you cracked it open. Yeah, I don't... <sighs> I don't know if I'm really loving this one. I think I kind of like the. It's, it's not quite a creamsicle. Yeah, but it is a a solid orange flavor. Like it is, it's not a crush because the crush has got a little bit more. You're right. To it. The, the, the smell was giving it more than the actual flavor does. And plus, by the way, guys, this is our zero sugar. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this is more a straight up soda flavor only kind of thing. No no zip in it to give you to get you right. But, no zippity doo does. Yeah, no sugar, but. Uh, no, it, it's 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 subtle. If I was to down the whole can like I just did this glass, I think I'd be pretty shit faced in about ten minutes. Oh yeah! Like I, they, by the way, guys, these are tall boys. These are <laughs> fucking tall boy cans. Oh yeah! No, yeah, we, we've this is a solid. Let's see. Yep, twenty four ounce. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. These these are going to be dangerous. I have. A, I'm going to go to work and go buy a live wire just to you know, get that taste again mm-hmm. and just see how close it really is. Because, like I said, I haven't had one since 2009. Well, the next two are the ones I'm looking forward to most. Uh, next on the chopping block is going to be the watermelon flavor. Yeah. And then after that, say the best for last, the Baja Blast. They didn't make a red one, did they? They did not make a Code Red. Well, that's a popular drink at my work, actually, Code Red. Um. I had, like I said, I haven't had Code Red in a very long time either. But Mountain Dew in general, you know, just they, for, at some point, I know they changed the flavor. Yeah, and I haven't really been a big fan. I drank Sun Drop like an American, <laughs> like a goddamn American Southerner. But yeah, but no, that's that's not a bad drink. You know, on a on a Saturday or on a Friday Saturday evening, you know, during a podcast, it's perfect, it. perfect fucking drink. Fuck it, it's it better did, than it that cheerwine shit. It didn't turn my mouth as bad as I. Th- no, it's not as bad as that. But no, that the, the orange isn't as offensive as I was thinking it was going to be. Yeah, but like it, it's also one of those things where it's very smooth. 
which for me that 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 can go a long way on a mixed drink right you know it's it's not like i will say this i've gone to west virginia and bought mixed drinks where i ordered a crown and coke which will probably be the next thing i buy for us to try is the jack daniels crown and coke cans because you can only buy them at a liquor store yeah but they would pour me a glass of crown and hand me a can of coke and like here you go And it's like that's a lot of crown, <laughs> and that's one can of Coke. Like you didn't even bother to show it to the glass, you piece of shit. And this is like, granted, it was only five dollars. It's a deal. <laughs> like, fuck, dude. I can't, for someone who's not an experienced drinker, you know these these are kind of nice. You know, to be a little smooth, not yeah. have that horrible aftertaste, like a malt liquor, mm-hmm. kind of like the the. Uh, Bojangles hard hard tea or whatever Ugh. like that had a very bad aftertaste. It's not like the uh, the the cherry limeade one where it just tastes like a fucking light beer. Yeah. So yeah, it's we're, I probably get a lot. I get a lot of shit for that too. It's like, well, you don't drink beer, but it's like I don't fucking want to now because it tastes like shit. No, and and I'm to the point now where literally the last time I drank was on this podcast. Yeah, it's the only time to drink. <laughs> yeah, like like literally the only time I ever drink now is on the show just you know for these taste tests and then like if i go out to a show i might have like a drink or something but no i was like i'm not any sort of heavy drinker either so it's like i'm not trying to impress anyone by drinking a guinness or you know some specific beer Uh, there's one beer i like and that's it and it's a yingling but even then i had one like a few months ago and i wasn't interested in having a second one i was content with the one so who knows? But yeah, Livewire not as horrible as I was expecting it yeah, to be. Yeah, it's eight out of ten. It's pretty good. Lubing us up for the rest of this episode again. Mega shout out to uh, Dustin for uh, booting this on up here in one way or another. We need to uh, take a pack everybody in the car around Christmas time and just show up at his house, kick in the door. Merry Christmas, motherfucker! Let's do a drinking episode. Oh, he he would just be like, oh hell yeah, eastbound and down. <laughs> no, we're um. We're definitely building. I already told him like a couple weeks ago that I was going to send him a package out, but then that was like before we got this. <laughs> so it's like now that I've gotten this in, I kind of left him on red in that department of like not sending like a new thing. But at the same time, I'll go and say this on air Dustin, you have an awesome care package coming your way. Like Chris and I are literally scheming, looking at different things, and we're we're getting a little care package together for you, buddy. Don't you worry. We we appreciate this, and this does not go unnoticed. So thank you, brother. So nice little fun shout out to listeners. And side note, if anyone does want to send us anything, we're even kind of considering going through like maybe Maybe some weird snacks because there's something that happened weird snack wise i want to bring up in the uh, news segment that i might have to hunt down for us to do on this kind of show but well on that note let's go ahead and move on over to our news segment so weird food news this is a real thing i've already posted it in our discord Link is in the episode description. Sign up. This is a 100% real candy item. Skittles is doing a mustard-flavored Skittle. That might not be too bad. I like mustard, so I, I try it. You know what I would do, though, just to be an ass, so I'd pour, pour Skittles in a bowl with the mustard ones. <laughs> 
and just put a little thing on the little paper that would you like to play a game and, like, and maybe sprinkle in some like uh, the Reese's M&M's see you you were that asshole that would get like the big thing of jelly beans and then mix in a bunch of the bean boozled yeah yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> this is licorice. What is this? Oh, that is Marilyn Monroe's vomit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just drug-addled vomit. That's <laughs> not too far off. There yeah. is a vomit flavor. Oh, yeah. It's it's disgusting. Yep, and a and like a diaper flavor. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were... Uh, my ex-in-laws, for some reason, like two or three years in a row, got me being boozled. I don't know why. But it's I would like, just take like a whole fucking handful of them. Well, it's like it, it, they got like it was the same one almost every time. I guess they had I'm, in hindsight, they probably just had a fucking stash of them up in the fucking yeah. cabinet. And they're just like, give that, give that kid one of them. But it's like the first year I got them, it was like, ah, oh, cool. And it came like in this tin. And it's like you flick the thing and, you know, it was, you eat however many, you know, it says. And it's kind of like a game. And then it happened the second year. And it was like a pack of like three, but without like the tin, like as a refill. And I'm like, okay, cool. Dead ass on the third one, the day of, I turned to her. I was like, how much you want to bet we're getting beamboozled again this year? She's like, no, no, not again. Sure as shit, that was in one of the fucking boxes. It's just like, you've got to be kidding. I threw out so many boxes of jelly beans. It was unreal. Some people like, just go hard on that kind of stuff when it when it comes to like oh i could tell you exactly which everyone tastes like and you know i get it, it is a gimmicky thing and there's a lot of like compound and stuff you know science behind it but yeah i do like the gimmicky ones but when it's not that extreme yeah so a mustard flavored skittle would be kind of fun I'll, I'll hunt them down. I'll, hopefully 7-Eleven has it because there's a 7-Eleven like right down the road and yeah. I visit that one often. If if 7-Eleven or Harris Teeter doesn't ever carry it, I won't see it. <laughs> it yeah, some of those stuff are like, it's kind of like the Thanksgiving sodas. You ever seen Jones sodas where it's just like some weird goddamn flavor. It's like, ooh, turkey dinner in the game. Only at Target. Only at Target. It's like, well, God damn it. <laughs> Nasty motherfuckers. Uh, not necessarily news, because again, with the writers and actors strike, there's not a whole lot of news, but this couldn't really cover our full main segment, but uh, f- I finally saw the new Evil Dead movie. Yeah, what'd you think, man? Yeah, so uh, we can kind of go into a little bit of spoiler talk on this, because, you know, we could do a little bit of a play-by-play. Who knows, maybe around Halloween we'll do a, a double feature, because did we ever talk about the origin- uh, the new Evil Dead movie? As no. a couch potatoes? No, but I think uh, a good Halloween episode would probably be a review of all the horror movies this year because they are fantastic. There you go. But no, I think we could even dedicate like a whole episode as a double feature oh, to yeah. like the Evil Dead that came out like 10 20, years ago. 2013 and, the, and yeah. then this one. Um, yeah, so again, spoiler talk. If you don't want to hear it, just fast forward a little bit. You're a big boy. You know how to do these things. Big girl, big person, whatever. Um I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as the 2013 one. No, because that that the, the 2013 one has a lot of nostalgia feel to it, but it also is just nonstop terrifying. Yeah, this one um, I, I really liked because one we changed the setting, one we changed the group dynamic, and three we do get a, one, one, and three. Yeah, but, but, but that last little bit though, we get the cabin setting in the beginning yeah and then at the end you know 
spoiler alert, it all comes back around again. Yeah. Which I kind of liked. You know, that that was a good setup. Um, and it did have that kind of feel from 2013, the very beginning of let's, like, let's make people very uncomfortable very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and it is a hardcore opener. And fuck, you know, for an Evil Dead opener, it's, it's, it's just as good. Scalpings. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> it, it was kind of fucked up because, you know, compared to the 2013 one was cock the bitch, you know, knock her out. She wakes up in a basement. And then this and this and this happens and then you realize oh shit no she deserved all this yeah but the cool thing about this one was it opens up the girl a, a random girl is just sick in a bed and yeah. that gave me a cabin fever kind of feel and i'm like okay are we are we going balls deep like immediately this is our these are our three people like if i hadn't seen a preview you would think this is what it's what it's mm-hmm. about and when she starts reading withering heights and if you've ever read that book there it, it is kind of a scary beginning and she's like let me in let me in and it's just like oh fuck because the girl is like dead on the bed saying what the girl is reading on the other side and it's like yeah that, that that's a good uncomfortable feeling that's new to horror a little bit good job guys yeah way to open it and yeah it's a good opener oh yeah definitely um i really don't have any major negatives with it uh, i watched it with my girl and some she kind of pointed out that i didn't notice immediately but she's kind of got a point the acting in it was not great no, but I think it's supposed to. It's a, it's not like it's not great or you know it's not supposed to be perfect, but it is. But it like may, the the dialogue scenes leading yeah. up to all the horror before the evil is unleashed mm-hmm. in the book, like everyone's just like normal acting and like interactions with each other. It I do agree they they were a little off. So when you uh, um, Ari Aster had talked about this in an interview, talking about. When you're doing a horror movie, if you're going to do something very unsettling, is to make the actors feel like normal people. Mm-hmm. So you want to downplay the beginning parts of it. You're, right. not, you're not trying to do like an A24 fucking Midsommar or Hereditary where everyone's just tense all the fucking time. <laughs> but like you want to make sure that people are like, okay, these are normal-esque people. Let's mm-hmm. let's give them that that you know soap opera acting that just blase talk talk mm. and that way when she hits the fan we can really see them turn because right. the whole point of evil dead movies since like the sam raimi days were always we need to make people go nuts yeah like make it to look like yeah they probably make it out of it bruce campbell will probably be okay but he will go crazy and need to be killed <laughs> like, and it was also very effective because once you get into the movie there were two things that i was sitting here going are they going to do this? Are they going to do this? Which created a good viewing experience because you're almost expecting a certain thing to happen. And the intensity of like, Oh, it might, it might, Oh, it's like, it's like just walking around each corner thinking you're about to get spooked. Two things I thought that were going to happen. One wasn't freaking me out as much. It was more or less kind of exciting me. I was really hoping the girl was going to turn. Yeah. I wanted to see demon little girl. Yeah. I was really hoping for that. And the entire time, I was like, oh, no, she's going to become the demon. This is going to get sad. But, oh, this is going to be kind of cool. And second thing, 
I legit and I and this was probably going to be the one time I even diverted my eyes because everyone just has their little yeah. limits. I legit thought she was about to dig into that stomach and grab the baby. Yeah, and that was going to be one of those like, up, oh, that's a line. I don't want to see that kind of thing. So it's like I was even prepping, like that the head was getting ready to turn, and then it like diverted quick. I was like, oh, but I think that was tense for me. That's what makes it. <coughs> A great movie. Oh yeah, that's it, what I'm giving it, it props it, for. Yeah, it, it, it just like it wants to like we're going to do so much heinous shit that your mind is going to be like this is the limit, and if it reaches that limit, I'm going to have to turn away. Yeah, because I've you know when I was younger, I had that problem yeah. where it's just like you are a lot more desensitized than I yeah, am, and now it's just like no, t- dig it the fuck out, k- k- take it, take it, <laughs> revive it from hell, and show show it to her, like do it, do it, yeah, show her her whole life to her her hair turns white out of fear and do that yeah go ahead because nowadays i don't give a fuck but like but there were points in the in the in the movie where they did a lot of kind of like in um the last jedi where they took a lot of leaps and bounds mm-hmm. on the ip uh, and this you can yeah uh, one was killing a lot of people in the apartment building fantastic that is something that was you, really you really cool. needed to do uh the the mom the matriarch of the family or, or the older sister basically yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic scary mm-hmm. like the, she has the look the way they made her look you know she she is kind of a you know a, a a very thin woman anyway but like she's got that like classic old 1920s look mm-hmm. kind of beauty but then you turn it and make it dark and vicious yeah that's legitimately fucking scary the smile itself was perfect yes. the creepy spot. The only my only problem with this movie was the CGI effects could have been more practical and look better. But that's my only problem with the movie. Yeah. Like no, the, the burning blood where it's just you know it's CGI and then it's like and then it switches to practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 2013 one did a lot more with practical effects. Yeah. Um, and I think it was probably I think mainly because it had a little bit more to prove. Yeah, and I think they had Sam Raimi's advice a lot more in that movie because he did have a more hands-on approach on that one than this one but this one keeps the ip alive oh yeah it's a great addition like like if the like if the one from 10 years ago was a 10 this would be like an 8.5 for me yeah it's it's a solid b it's it's a great movie it's a great horror horror movie for 2023 fantastic uh they have like i've I've said this before the the newest horror movies out of 2021 22 and 23 have really been knocking it out of the park it's a new era for horror and even as a even like reboots you know a couple of them have been fantastic Uh, there are some that are just shit in the bed kind of but like the it, we're getting a really good kind of standout performance, and what I hate is like they're not getting recognized. Right, there are a lot of good like good movies out, but it's just like oh, you know, we have fame. This is going to be the Margot Robbie movie, blah blah blah. No, it sucks. Let's watch the Barbie movie instead. Barbie But but the, the, this is what I, I hate about people when horror movies is like they don't give them the props they deserve. Like the acting, yeah. you know, is kind of blase in some of these. But but the writing, the writing, they should get an Oscar for this kind of stuff. Special and it, effects, and they don't get it ever the last one was the exorcist and i'm just like there's so many much more better horror movies since then yeah that could have been an oscar worthy movie in some aspect but never got anything um so yeah i'm really hoping hollywood fails with all the rest of their stuff except for horror because this this one is just another notch on the bedpost for really good movies of 2023 overall 
Yeah, and I would have to say probably my overall, my number one gripe with the movie is probably my same gripe I had with the other 2013 movie. The fucking reasonings for digging up that fucking book and the records. It's just like... I have yet to see a movie that gives me a good reason for stealing this item. That's a great thing about horror movies. Reasoning goes out the window as soon as that music starts playing in the beginning and the fucking credits start rolling in the beginning because nothing has to make sense. No, and you know I'm saying that that partly, Joe. that's, That's the best part. Hey, let's dig up the book in the cellar of a creepy cabin filled with dead cats hanging from barbed wire from the roof Mm -hmm. and then grab this book that's wrapped in garbage bags and barbed wire like a terrible unboxing video and let's fuck with it yeah and like in this new one hey we found this really weird religious temple buried underneath our apartment and this is this one actually has a better reason to fucking open with it because he's just trying to open it it's testing you to try to open it yeah. now you got to, i got to know like <laughs> like why is it, it called me a bitch he called me a bitch and then what's cool about this one is the book needs blood to open and it's very subtle and going into the lure of the evil dead now we know because listening to those records it's a priest that buried this goddamn thing and it was and you could hear like the convert like a conference of priests was like no that's a dumb idea don't do that yeah don't do that and he's like this is one of three mm-hmm. and so that kind of canonizes the whole movie as this is book two 2013 is probably book three and bruce campbell he found the first one and now we all know that there's three necronomicons running around that do different things Mm -hmm. each one is worse than the other one so now we've got a good universe to build on san raimi's ideas so like it really added to the story and not in a negative way which happens in horror movies like the children of the corn movies is like I get it. This kid is in corn, but like you can only write write so much about kids in corn. But it's corn. It's corn. It's just like an adult can show up and kill all of you because you're children. It's not that hard. You ever hit a kid? It's easy as fuck. It's just right there. But no, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I Uh, I encourage anybody to go watch it. 100%. And uh, we would not be a movie, TV show centered podcast if we didn't give an honorable mention to congratulations to Barbie and Oppenheimer, both fucking killing it in the box office. Good. Good. I'm happy because this is the kind of stuff that we need. We need fun movies. We need informational movies. And we need to come out at the same time. Because you need a reason to go to the theater, and this was a perfect reason. And it, you could not find a more polar opposite fan base either. That a history it. war type movie mm-hmm. and a sugary bubblegum cotton candy pop culture movie. Yeah. Uh, Complete uh, opposites of each other. One, you know, one is about you know, but a weird connection with glitter. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> but like. So you have one that is just like the basis of structure, society, and what it means to have power, and the other one's and the about other is Oppenheimer. Yeah, and the other one's Oppenheimer. <laughs> so like, both of these things were introduced to Japan in a detrimental way. <laughs> but what see what people I don't think realize about Oppenheimer is it's a lot about him, not so much the nuclear bomb. It, it plays a big part of it because that is something he helped build. And with that, there is a. There's a sadness to the part of the movie because the way Christopher Nolan films it, he films it in black and white on the darker scenes, 
where it's the story after the bomb about Oppenheimer. So, like, if, if anybody knows the history, but he kind of gets railroaded in history at the tail end of his life, and they go after him and stuff like that, and ruin his life. They they ruin this man's life who helped end World War Two, and Barbie ruined society. <laughs> no, but it's, it is like the second most recognized toy of all time. So. Yeah. It's a fun bubblegum pop movie, and that's what people need to see. So, like, if I'm going to the movie theater, I'm going to go see both. A buddy of mine I was working with tonight, uh, and he said that his friend asked him uh, if he had seen Oppenheimer, and he was just like, yeah, man, it was really good. He goes, is there a post credit scene? And he goes, yeah, we're living it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so just, we're living the post credit scene, yeah, dumbass. Yeah, very serious, you know. <laughs> I would love. I'll probably talk about it on the history podcast of you know the effects of that because it is a, it's arguable and debatable thing. Should America have done it? But you know that's that's for a whole new podcast. But but yeah, like I said, you know, like you said, polar opposites. You know, this is what it needs. You know, this this glittery, you know, happy style movie mm-hmm. that does have a you know has a deep message for adults. Yeah, uh, but it's still a fun movie. I, st- I haven't seen any spoilers for it, but I am upset that my uh, my mild prediction didn't come true, or at least it doesn't seem as if. Where it's like the third act gets like ultra meta and like semi serious, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like it necessarily goes down that yeah deep uh, of a path. Friends, friends I know have, have went and seen it already. Said it's a fun movie. It's not bad, you know. It doesn't have a ultra feminist kind of thing. It's not a man hating movie like some people are saying. It's gonna say that's what it's, I've it's, been it's, reading it's, too. Like, he's like, look, it's a bubblegum movie. That that'd be really fun. You're like, you could take your kids to go see it. They're not gonna understand a lot of the jokes. But it's also written by Greta Gerwig, who is like a hardcore comedian. That name sounds familiar. Yeah, she makes fantastic movies. <laughs> so like, uh, but yeah, it's let's let's take Barbie. This mm-hmm. this fantastical toy and turn it into what would be like if she wanted to leave yeah and it's fun even uh killian murphy and oppenheimer you know talked about like how serious this movie is and they asked them like hey are you uh, are you excited for oppenheimer in an interview he's like well yeah i want to see barbie first (laughs) it's just like yeah he needs to he needs to lighten his goddamn brain from fucking working for christopher nolan um and it's worth a double feature. I think this is something that the theaters could really part, start doing now mm-hmm. is taking movies that are just too diametrically opposite of each other and double featuring them for people. Because if I'm going to a movie and I get really down because of watching it, because of how serious it is, yeah, I would like a, a pop movie to come up next with it. Yeah, so. But you go into the glitter thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah tell so, tell so, me about the glitter. So the weird connection between these two movies on a scientific level was uh, the U.S. government created glitter because glitter, because it's shiny and very uh, microbial, Mm -hmm. is great for packaging plutonium in its raw form, which is a highly radioactive substance. And so glitter, like Velcro and other stupid inventions we use every day yeah was created for the military for some weird nefarious <laughs> purpose so yeah you if you like glitter guys you can thank uh, nuclear science and that's a weird way that everything connects together if you like hello kitty think a nuclear scientist <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have came up with that shit without dropping two bombs on them <laughs> uh, 
And uh, and actually, one last piece of news: uh, the Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons is now yeah. available on the Nintendo Switch. I'm kind of excited for those because those are really fun games that really play on to each other. As one of those, it's like a double feature game, you know, like it plays into the playing movie. on our theme of double feature. Yeah, but it, it, those games came out at the same time, just like the Pokemon games, and, right? You know, you. What was the major difference between the uh, two? Uh, Oracle of Seasons was dungeon heavy, if I'm correct, and Oracle of Ages was puzzle heavy. Okay, but it was the same map, just played differently, almost. Uh, and it came, and it was kind of paired with the Minish Cap, which is another game that came around that time. Yep. And it just added a lot of cool features, a lot of you know, really fun stuff to do in the games, which kind of play into how Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are, you know. They're very similar games, but they're telling the same story into a continuation. So, yeah. like, Zelda's very story-heavy, uh, and I think that draws in a lot of Nintendo fans who didn't buy PlayStations or Xboxes because, you know, you had Final Fantasy and those those kind of games. This one was the one RPG where the story could keep going and going and going, uh, and it still be new and fresh. Yeah. So that's that was a big point about Oracle Ages and Oracle Seasons was – Let's keep it fresh with a whole new story. Mm-hmm. And that kind of played on later on with Majora's Mask, Ocarina of Time, and then the new Game Boy games, which came later, which were Spirit Tracks. Uh, and you had Wind Waker for the GameCube. And then you had their best fucking Game Boy game of all time, which is Link Between Worlds, which was a whole new story on an old map of Link to the Past, which is probably the top five greatest SNES games of all time. So, yeah, like. They don't really make a bad game. Like <laughs> there are a lot of people that rank them yeah. and how bad they are. But overall they're not bad games. Right. Like I could do a S like a S to F tier. Mm-hmm. And there'll be some F tier, but guess what? Those F tiers, I'll still play the fuck out of them. Oh yeah. Uh it, it was kind of like Mario. Mario I can't really think of a really bad Mario game that I hate. Like I'm I mean legitimately like I cut it on, ah fuck and throw it away. Like No, I can't think of one that that's bad. Cuz that's I think of F tier, I'm thinking I can't get through one level. Yeah. Like I like I I will say I haven't played Mario Odyssey. Yeah. I haven't played some of the newer Mario games. But if they're half as like half as good as Galaxy was was, you know, yeah, it's no, they're 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 at least that good. I, the only one I would get really close to putting in F tier, but it would just always automatically Mario sixty four. Yeah, fuck you. Why just why just do like uh. yeah yeah. <laughs> um, probably the second Mario game, the one that wound up just being a reskin of yeah. that Japanese game, and it just kind of is a little bit off. That's the I think, one I think that I just because it's a Japanese game is why it's a little off. Well, no, just uh, off because of like the character models and like that. That was like the birth of Birdo and shit, and that like Birdo was not initially a Mario character. It came from that other game, but um, that or the first Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. That's another one I just usually do not revisit. It just does not control well. Yeah, well, people my age are big into that one. Uh, but I think I think a lot of that's due to like Mario sixty four just kind of redoing the whole controls, yeah, and making it more yeah, fun. That that was a lot more my generation console. But you know, the thing you got to look at too is like the only other racing game <coughs> at, that, at that time was F Zero. That was fun, and F Zero is fun because it's super goddamn fast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mario Kart for the SNES isn't super fucking fast. No, so, and there's no neon lights and techno music playing in the background until no. Rainbow Road. So like. <laughs> No, nah, F Zero is definitely the superior racing game for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, so like that's how I feel about the Zelda game. You know, like overall, I could do a we could probably do a fistful of quarters if I had somebody that played a lot of them. 
that would be kind of a fun probably episode yeah um just going over the storylines of each one Mm -hmm. uh the 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 three-part two-hour series on <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom I will be doing by myself probably uh, with a Muppet. Uh, <laughs> hey, you Chris, tell him, Chris. It was good. It was so fucking good. That's right, Saki. It was sucking good. <laughs> Just take a fucking hit of Saki. Uh, <laughs> Saki. Yeah. I like Saki that. was Saki. I love that. It's just a man's schizophrenic idea is just swirling down the drain while he talks to a sock. <laughs> Someone draw that Chris with a sock with a little title underneath a sock. What do you think sock-y? about the aliens in Congress, Socky? It's a fallacy! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dudes, real quick. I'll, I'll bring it up through a, through a triple C episode of the future, but some, some guy whistleblowed that uh, the government's been lying to us about aliens for the last 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah! And he didn't present any physical evidence yeah, maybe trust you me, sh- bro. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, bro is not a good thing to say in Congress at any point in history. I got you is like the same as asking a buddy for a ride and like from work. It's just yeah, like, so I got I, you. I saw the the pertinent clip that was about like maybe eight minutes long, and it, it was the whole thing. We got of, a lot of new words. We we <laughs> have we have the evidence. But I can't share it publicly. I can share it in private with Congress. Yeah. Behind closed doors. Yeah. Which kind of defeats the purpose of whistleblowing. Uh, but like, it, I have a secret to tell the world. Shh, come here. Tell me first. Tell me first. I'll tell you first. And then it becomes a game of telephone. Yeah. Oh, tell what, me, tell what me first. You hear? He said JFK committed suicide. <laughs> tell <laughs> me first, and I'll tell you if you can tell everyone else. Yeah, yeah. This, this goes out to the rabbit hole of conspiracy. It's, it's going to, it's, it's rampling a bunch of people up. Uh, it became a lot of memes. Yeah. Which, which are fun. Hey, are we getting the alien for aliens, or are we getting the MIB aliens? And everybody's like, I really fucking hope it's the MIB ones. Like, <laughs> just mars attacks it's just mars attacks oh god damn it what the worst future <laughs> but uh, he he basically brought up a uaps unidentified unidentifiable aerial uh craft or whatever uh and he said there were non-human biologic biological pilots mm-hmm. uh and non-terrestrial spacecraft so he basically said we found an alien in a ufo that's that and we've been lying to you about it for 20 30 40 years Okay. Can you show it? Well, well uh, no. Not right now. So you wasted my time. <laughs> this is another thing that you guys are ruining. You're distracting me from something important I need to focus on. Yeah. Maybe it's the banking collapse. Maybe it could be the fact that, you know, Hollywood is trying to destroy, you know, copyright laws in general. But that's a whole new thing. But tell me more about this alien that you saw, only you. And only you are the whistleblower on, you fucking asshole. So you don't think anything else big is going to come from it? I think it's, it's, it's a lot of conjecture until we actually see something. That's the problem with the government hiding stuff. Is like when we actually see the evidence of it, that's when it's big. Like the two-lane tests, that's real. You know, using radioactive material on mentally challenged people. Yeah, that was a real thing. Guess what? It wasn't until someone showed you the evidence of it. Uh, Operation Northwoods. Yeah, it was real when we saw the actual fucking papers for it. MK Ultra was real when we saw the papers for it. It wasn't fucking thought police and you know psychics or anything. No, it was throwing people out of fucking windows after they were high on LSD. That's the real part of it. But this this is the problem I have with conspiracy, which I bring up on the show is like there's truth, and then we have people add to it that gets rid of the truth part of it, and now it just becomes a fucking lie. Well, this this part isn't going to dive too much into uh, what you'd probably want to do on the episode. Just more or less say opinion. 
let's say this guy's for real. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's say he's for real. And Congress is like, you know what? Fuck it, Bill. Tell him. Show him. Tell them all. Do you think not we, as in you, I, and the folks that listen to this show and, you know, everything else, but the mass public, do you think the public is ready for information that we are not alone? We're in a perfect spot for this to be released. Because half of the people are going to be like, oh, this is some fake shit the government's trying to use to distract you. Blah, 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 blah. And the other half is like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. We're finally learning more about them, and we're on a dawn of a new period. So, yeah. So, we're, okay. we're in a perfect spot for I, that. I could see that maybe, like, for the first, like, few days. But, oh, like, when, but when people what, start realizing that it is real? Yeah. yeah like, what, like the, when things fully sit in, like, and even, like, the staunch non-believers have to face the fact that it's real. I think this is something that's going to be unequivocally proven in this, you know, scenario. If they come out with actual evidence where we see them and it's irrefutable evidence. Irrefutable evidence. Like I said, this is, you know, a what if scenario. I think some people are going to panic. I think some cults are going to be kind of revitalized a little bit. They're like, <laughs> yeah, he was fucking right. We fucking knew it. We fucking get my Nike, ten, Nikes. Get, uh, honey, get my Nikes. Tinfoil sale is oh. about to go through the fucking roof. Yeah, and then it's going to be a fire sale on economic policy for the rest of the decade. So, yeah. I think I think it'll do be you a, think we immediately try to take charge and like what, gain uh, dominance over airspace do that now well I'm talking about like at a higher level because I know right now we have a cutoff in both longitude and latitude oh, yeah we do have a space cutoff when yeah. it comes to you know satellites and shit so I think I really hope it doesn't go down the route of someone like Elon Musk getting involved or Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos I don't want them involved I oh my hope. god, I could see Elon getting involved right now. I would hope. Busting in with his fucking leather duster jacket. He gets killed immediately. Um, I would hope that in this hypothetical that the U.S. government would probably come out and say, hey, yeah, we know this is real. We actually have a collective of aerospace technology between a handful of countries who do dominate the skies. You know, U.S., India, Britain, France, you know whoever, uh, who have space programs, who have something in place. I mean, I've actually got a transcript. I, I've got a little audio piece here. Biden has already said something about it, and he's just like, well, you know, if they wind up having something, yeah, 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 have a dog. When, you know, when it's with my dog, you know, he yeah. likes going outside some, so, you know. This is really where I really okay. want the vice president to talk. <laughs> this is the part where I want Camilla Harris to actually open her fucking mouth. All right, motherfuckers, listen up. She just pulls a gun out. I've had this since I was a cop. Puts it on the goddamn dais. He's like, everyone needs to buy these right fucking now. Actually, we're getting rid of all gun laws. Everyone grab one immediately. Well, Aim for the head. <laughs> uh, according to this whistleblower, uh, no weapon that the government possesses would be strong enough for these extraterrestrial beings. Well, I guess we'll find out if he's telling the truth. Honestly, because that's the only problem I have with this guy. I need actual proof. Yeah. Not conjecture, you know. So you don't feel like he is providing proof behind the closed doors? No. I, I do believe aliens exist. I do believe, you know, we may have contacted one at one time. But that's the end of it. 
Yeah. I, I Do think, you think this could be the documents of that? Could be. It could be the fact. It could be that hey, Roswell was a hoax, but later on there was actual something that happened. You know, this like you know at this point it is conjecture until we know more, and that's what I hate about this kind of story is because now it's just going to fuel the fire. Yeah. Of anti-government sentiment and anti you know societal you know amalgamation. You know, like I'm trying yeah. to think of the best word for it, but this is going to hinder a lot of things in the long run. I could see that. So. I don't know. Put put some fucking puckers up his ass and make him tell him everybody. You know, just, like, <laughs> just do it the old fashioned way. <laughs> take him out, take him out back and beat him with a hose. Like that, that, that's the old way of doing things, and that worked for, for that worked in the fifties. <laughs> well, do we have any other news topics to go over? Uh, Universal tried to play some hard, hard some old school uh, union busting activities with the sag after people. Oh yeah, I don't know if you heard about that. No. Yeah. Uh, they targeted an area of protest uh, where they were uh, protested uh, under these trees, and Universal thought it'd be a good idea to go ahead and prune them trees in the middle of July. Damn. And guess what? That's not their trees. It was a state, uh, a city of Los Angeles trees. And this is an actually old union busting trick uh, from back in the day. Yeah. Back, I will say, granted, back in the day, the old way of dealing with union busters was to kill union members. That was the old way of doing things, but this is a little bit more subtle. Yeah. They didn't kill nobody, but they were actively trying to participate in giving people heat stroke. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, with the rising, you know, temperatures, I don't know if anybody's been outside in the last two days. It's a cool 85 at midnight. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, we pulled up. He's we, not far off. I pulled up. My fucking, you know, my, my car tells me the temperature. When we pulled up, it was 82 fucking degrees yep, outside. It's 79 right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. California. I can imagine it's a little hot during the day. A little day. warm, a little toasty. I'm holding a pickup sign, picket, picket sign, along with Adam Conover and, and the fucking uh, yelling at phones every two seconds. Yeah, but I will say though, there is a there is kind of a great thing to see is like you're seeing the bigger actors, yeah, get involved uh, with these with these protests who don't have a don't have a horse dog in the fight basically because they've made their money. Yeah. You know, and this is a, but they also realize without good writers, they have nothing to say on screen. But it's also like the background characters too, because a big part of the screen actors guild getting involved was they're, they're scanning the faces and bodies of extras and, you know, recycling them as background characters. Yep. Extras. And this is a big part of that. So I'm glad seeing the bigger people step up for the for the people that are lower on the totem pole oh and yeah and then ryan cranston even got in it oh yeah just fucking fire and brimstone oh you know? yeah yeah and i like seeing that that's that's what the union is you know we make this you just produce it and in fact when you make a movie just from producer only from like committee they're terrible movies We've seen that a lot over the yeah. last couple of years. Pat Oswalt uh, recently uh, appeared on a uh, thing where uh, he was interviewed about it, mm-hmm. and he talked about he's like the, the Star Wars movies. He's like you have a you have a fan base that is large and wide. You're not going to make everyone happy, right? Force Awakens. As much as I love the movie, this is what he says. You know, as much as I love the movie, people are Chris. Oh, it's just Star Wars over. He's like, yeah, it is, but it's still the best one of that. Yeah, of this new series from Disney, and. Yeah, he's right. They just fun. And Ryan Johnson, who tried to play, you know, tried some new things with Last Jedi, which were fun. And then the fans were just like, no, fucking no. And <laughs> people forget Ryan Johnson was under the gun. Yeah. You know, he had a time limit. And so when you put people under time limits, movies come out convoluted and, you know, very. And then Rise of Skywalker was like a literally movie a mid- movie and by he committee. Says that. He said, that, and this is what you get. He's like, this is what happens when, you know, you let people with creative ideas go and create movies by committee and you get these hated vitriolic movies 
And uh, but then there's also weird cases. It comes all the way around and works. One case being Emperor's New Groove. That was a movie by committee because there's a really interesting uh, documentary about it on YouTube. I forget the exact name of it, but you could look it up just by looking that those keywords, and it shows how. What the start of the movie with storyboards, voice acting, everything. After like maybe the second or third review, they were like, "Yeah, no, scrap the whole thing. Start from over. Start over." Yeah. And they were like, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, I mean, we maybe like ten percent of this, but the only things we like are uh, uh, the main character. He's okay, and I, we like your llama. Um, how about we turn the main character into the llama?" It's like, okay, but that doesn't fit the parable that we're trying to, yeah. you know, create. You know, we'll work it out, or we're gonna pass. Yeah, you know, that's your one in one hundred shot. You know, and that's fine. But then it's like, and every time they brought something in, you know, no, change this, you know, I'll change that. It's like, that was literally a movie constructed by a committee at Disney. But at the same time, you look at the finished product and Emperor's New Groove is among one of the highlights of, you know, that late 90s, early 2000 Disney animation. And what's funny is like, if you think about the late 90s, early 2000s, that is the end of 2D. That is, that's that's the nail in the coffin because that El Dorado, uh, that fucking Egypt movie, Prince of Egypt. Yeah, Prince of Egypt. Yeah, those, that was set, that was the last yeah, one. Th- these are the last two D movies you're going to get mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> and it's like, eh, okay. And then they started revamping the princess movies, and they made yeah. uh, Princess and the Frog, which is two D. But then again, it was all computer generated. Yeah. So. I don't know, man. This is uh, a lot of this is going to delve into AI, which will be a whole different episode because this is where AI kind of plays into the non-conspiratorial part, where it mm-hmm. is this is factually what they can do with it. This isn't like Terminator Two, but this is the real <laughs> fucking thing. You know, this is the serious part of AI is intellectual <laughs> property, changing changing faces. You know, a lot of stuff, and a lot of people are getting their information from Reels, Instagram, TikTok, and it's just like some of the sounds. Sounds a little fantastical what you're mm-hmm. saying. Uh, I, I heard recently one guy was like, "Oh yeah, the the head of uh, Universal wants to AI generate uh, John Wayne into a into a new project." And I'm like, "That right there is that that thin line of believability and bullshit." Well, see, I heard that with um, James Dean. James Dean. Yeah. Uh, I had Dean in my head, and I was yeah. but I was trying to work that in as the first thing. I'm like, Dean Walker. And we have yet to see it. Or any idea of it, or even like any news about it since yeah. the first time we heard about it. So that was like what year or so ago? Yeah, we talked about it uh, on the podcast last year. And yeah, like like I said, we haven't heard anything about it since then. So this is where that line has actually crossed into. Yeah, that was probably bullshit. Until You're we right. actually, you know, this goes back to the alien conversation. Until we see it, it's just bullshit. You got you hit the nail on the head right there. I don't even own a hammer. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and move on away from that bullshit. And I hear the ticket machine in the background. It's time to talk about the bear. Yes, chef. (laughs) 
all I could think about this whole goddamn series, working from back to the beginning of it, was the menu, and I couldn't stop laughing because I was just waiting for like one dude to clap and yes. mention that movie during the show just to make everyone uncomfortable or, or surprise some fucking levity. <laughs> well, um, how do we want to go about it? Do we want to do episode by episode, or yeah. do we want to kind of talk about it as a whole and like section off certain segments? I think episode by episode because these are thirty minute episodes; they're yeah. very quick and fast and. The way the guy who, who uh, directs and produces a thing is all about fast cuts. You know, everything is one shot, unchained. Yep. You know, it, it is, you know, out the gate fast. So, uh, at least uh, according to Wikipedia, episode one synopsis, uh, episode nine overall in the series, uh, Carmi and Sydney begin to develop a menu for the bear. They bring in Natalie as project manager for renovations. Uh, realizing they need additional funds, they ask Sericio. Uh, yeah, uh, Oliver Platt's character. Yes, uh, for a loan, and he agrees to loan them $500,000 on the condition that they pay back the money in 18 months or he will take ownership of the property estimated to be worth $2 million. They develop a plan to open in three months. And essentially, that really does cover everything in that episode. Yeah, so the only thing in this episode that is really important is i need uh carmy needs to revamp his staff all right one is bringing sugar in his sister yeah one is you know bringing his cousin in a little better and make him into something better yeah uh all while carby is just like slowly deteriorating in the brain and what i love about this in a series as a whole is you find out this is a dream of his this was something he showed his brother and which we'll get to that part but that is the crux of the whole season yeah the first season is totally opposite of this season which i love because hey this is the down and out restaurant this is a family oriented thing and you know these people are family yeah um this isn't in the employment kind of thing oh here we're all family it's like no motherfucker these guys are are literally family their lives are tied together down to the dishwasher you know yeah so yeah, it's very important that everything works out, and now they've decided to make that dream a possibility by the end of season one into yeah. this. Um, um, I will say one aspect of season one that I wish they brought into season two a little bit more. It felt like they they forgot that they found the money in the tomato jars or tomato cans. Yeah, so. So when they find the money, it is in a certain amount. Yeah, they need the additional amount from Oliver Platt's character. Because- uh, but if it feels like they would have like lingered on that a little bit more, does that make sense? Yeah, like, like it was like if we if I found a whole shit ton of money in fucking you know some tomato cans, I would have been talking about that a little bit more. You know that that would have been a little bit more of the conversation. It just felt like you know someone left a box of donuts in the break room. Yeah. I think we kind of get that shot at the very beginning of the episode where there's a bunch of busted up tomato cans and they've already decided to make the plan of the bear and it's uh, him and his sous chef talking but when he goes to find his cousin he's in the basement looking at the photos that were also part of the cans and stuff and he's trying to keep his mind together when he realizes what the bigger plan was because you know going back to season one this was his home yeah. Before Carmi came back, because Carmi, mm-hmm. you know, has been heavy in the big restaurant scene. So when he 
he he's just trying to process <laughs> that, and I yeah. think that kind of continues on. Uh, everyone's a little bit tighter, mm-hmm. uh, but those same fractures are still there. Yeah, I like that um, Sydney and um, the older Hispanic lady. I like the seeing the two of them starting to bond a little bit. Thick as thieves. Yeah. By the yep. end, by the end of it, they are perfectly working. Mm-hmm. They are a unit. Yeah. That exists in the kitchen. And that was a, and that was a satisfying character development because they did not get along up until like maybe right near the end of season one. And it was also kind of like, you know, the older person who's been working there and the new person coming in with the exact same level of skill, if not more, and. I like the fact that she respected it, though. Yeah, so she took so uh, the sous chef, the girl, she took the hazing. Mm-hmm. She took it and then proved that she could be above it. And you know, going back to season one again, like this is this this is what this was. And now it's, but she didn't do it back at her. Yeah, where she had every right to. All she did was help her be better. Mm-hmm. Help her been like, hey, let's do this. And then when she did better. When the older woman did better, she acknowledged it. Yep. This is fantastic. What you just did here was perfect. It's kind of like Carmen and uh, Marcus. Mm-hmm. It's like, God damn it, Marcus, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, the perfect goddamn donut from heaven. And it's just like, <laughs> fuck. This can cure panic attacks. <laughs> My house is on fire, but you fixed it with the donut, you asshole. I love it so much. It's that, it's that like, it's that, uh, what is it? Uh, violent cuteness almost it's yeah. like oh my god i want to fucking eat it <laughs> but but yeah they, they've carried that dynamic on and now they're both there yeah which leads in perfectly to episode two uh construction hiccups occur uh including a discovery of a mold problem we don't have no goddamn mold problem if it was the ceiling would fall down he starts tapping the ceiling and, and that dude look legitimately probably has mesothelioma now oh yeah oh yeah absolutely uh sydney has a dinner with her father who expresses his concerns about her choice to open a restaurant uh with sydney now the uh chef de cuisine uh she asked tina to be her sous chef uh to the latter's delight she sends tina and ebra uh, to culinary school to take advantage of their existing staff meanwhile carmy reconnects with his childhood friend clary and now a resident in emergency medicine but purposely gives her the wrong phone number yeah. uh this this is a lot about rebuilding the team yep we need them to be legitimate so i'm going to send my my two standard cooks to culinary school so they can have that on their resume basically because because yeah. you, you really want that on a michelin like that the, well, their main goal is a star mm-hmm. a michelin star a star a star just one not five just one you just got to get the one uh and how hard that is and yeah so yeah these two going to culinary school was perfect. Now I will say, uh, Pete Ta- uh, Peter Townsend is the guy that plays uh, old girl's dad. Uh-huh. Do you know the significance of him in like nerd culture? No, he's the first live action black superhero. Ever. Oh no, shit! He played a man named Meteor Man. Yeah. I used to own this movie because I used to live in a video store, <laughs> and it was my favorite like superhero movie before superhero movies were fun because he it was like he touches a meteor, becomes super powered, and whatever fucking hilarious movie yeah great movie and i'm seeing him i'm just like holy shit that's meteor man like, <laughs> for me for me watching this i was like holy shit that's fun as fuck <laughs> where has he been like <laughs> but because he was like a sitcoms and stuff after that but like i was yeah. just like i would tell this to alex i gotta find out if he knows if he's the first black live action superhero <laughs> no meteor man i don't need to check that out but um one of the other things that this one kind of hit me 
more than I expected it to. Not in any sort of like I relate way, but just like they just played it so well. <clears throat> when Tina and Abra, Ebra rather, go to um, culinary school, Tina stumbles but gets into it. Yeah. Abra turns around and leaves. He feels so intimidated by it. Yeah, so... And he plays it so well throughout those following episodes of just like that, is it worth it? I don't know. I don't belong here. Because you see him, like, look at everything. And, like, you know what he came from. That dirty, greasy kitchen of, you know, the old beef. A cook. Yeah. And then now he's looking at this perfectly clean stainless steel room with these perfect white chef's outfits and like so much organization and cleanliness and purposeness that he just did not feel like he belonged in that and like i said i don't relate in that i feel like malleable to a lot of scenarios but just like i've seen so many people like him and i think that's why it hit me in such a way you got tita and ibrahim together you have two sides of the same coin it's just how they handle it so these are the two scenarios of how you handle that situation when you're old do i stick and learn it and stick the landing or do i look at myself and doubt myself and leave this is a perfect example of like the, that to these two people because yeah. that's what they are. And this is kind of a hard aspect. You know, we'll learn later on in life when we're older. It's like, do I keep going with it, or do I better myself into a younger training? Because this is a, this is a very young man's crowd. It's a young man's game. Oh yeah, you got to so, be physically fit, mentally fit. Yeah, and so for these people to make that next step into being better, those are your two options: stick the landing or quit. That's it. There's no in between. And you just and they show the two sides and, of the coin. And Tina Tina needs to stick the landing because she's not only bullied someone from this time from this kind of culture, but she's also stuck the landing with them in a personal way. Yep. She shows respect to these people that she cooks with throughout the show, and to the point where they befriend her and she sticks her neck out because she's very closed off. She has her own family. She decides to branch out. And then she goes to a later on she goes to a bar with him. And so that, that's a big step for her. Yeah. As a character. Abraham coming back later on is a big step for him. So I think I think they did that just to show those are the two options that are only available in that situation. And uh, another cool dynamic that they've shown in these two episodes, um, I think they did it in passing in season one, but it was never explained. Um, but between this time, uh, Carmi and Sid are also like trying to figure out a menu, you know, for the bear. And tensions get heated with two creative people. You know, I've I've been through that with you know podcasting and music. You yeah. get creative people involved, and sometimes folks don't see eye to eye, and sometimes it takes a little bit of hard discussion, you know, respectfully on both sides to. Re- reach a solution to figure and out what we got to do. That's why we don't do. have a whole series about the theremin. <laughs> Creative <laughs> fucking differences. <laughs> he says, gripping his drinks harder. <laughs> pour my Diet Coke over this fucking Super Nintendo fucking Lego set. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things that he implemented, he did like the Coco Sad, the sorry thing. So yeah, so that's a big thing in not only restaurants, but in certain working environments where you can't just say that kind of thing. Um, and it's just, you know, 
you see it at different workplaces. There are hand gestures people make that are inside yeah. the company or inside the thing. Like one thing I would do would hold my fist like hold my hand like this mm-hmm. if someone needed me, which means wait. When I was in doing uh, customer service or yeah. phone, like I would tap the headphones and be like, "Yeah," and they'd be like, oh, "Okay, Chris will be Chris will help me with something," right. or a a you know tap my forehead You're like you good, yeah. So yeah, like those are just little hand gestures that we create in our own environments. Yeah, but that one's very important because mm-hmm. it's like, God damn it, where's the fucking cannoli? And he's just rubbing his chest. Yeah, and he's just that's he's we're, we're, he's giving the buffer of like I'm stressed, but I'm not being stressed at you. It's just coming out. Yeah, it's coming out like I'm attacking you, but I'm not. Please yeah. understand, I am not attacking you. But we do need 48 steaks on the fly. Right. Fucking now. <laughs> right. Fucking now. Um, and I love that kind of thing because in those high stress scenarios, sometimes it does just bubble out where you're just like, God damn it, where are the 58 fucking steaks? And it's yeah. like, you've got to express being like, look, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the situation. You just happen to be hearing the situation. Yeah, so Carmi and Sydney have the best relationship, even though it's fucking hectic and awful out of all everybody they have the best because they're trying to be the best yeah and they're not going against each other mm-hmm. they need the other one to be just as good if not better yep so there is a lot of, that's why he shows that to her is just like look this is what i've learned mm-hmm. this is i think this can make us better yeah and it does it makes them so much better it, it defuses every one of their situations it gets them through some tough stuff uh, but yeah and then carmy reconnects with his childhood friend claire claire bear, uh, claire bear. Uh, now res uh, now a resident in emergency medicine. Um, but yeah, he intentionally gives her the wrong phone number, which I think this was the other weak point throughout the season. I I bought their connection. I bought the realness and the distraction it brought. It just. <laughs> I don't know by the end, but I'll, I'll get there by the end of the series or end of the season. It just, I don't know. It felt like such a weird thing for it to, I don't know. I don't know. I saw it more as like, he doesn't feel like he deserves to be happy. Oh yeah. I mean, he it's, said that. On, on yeah, front I, think, I think that's a perfect example of that. It's like, here's someone who's reaching out to me that could make me happy, but I don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. So let me just go ahead and shut that shit down. Yeah, in a, in a weird passive aggressive way, and that's the thing about Car- uh, Car- Carmi in the whole fucking series is he's very self deprecating throughout the series because like we see that in season one a lot. He's like he gets that card from his from Sugar and he's like, hey, go see somebody, go talk to somebody. He's like, okay, fine. And then he never goes and ends up having a fucking panic attack and leaving the kitchen with Sydney and she's just like, what the fuck is happening right now? I say like, yeah. So he doesn't believe in his mind that he deserves relief yeah that makes sense uh yeah episode three uh kicks off carmy continues to attend uh ai and on meetings uh where he discusses his struggles finding time for leisure and enjoyment uh he and cindy prepare their menu but realize their broken plates present a challenge uh after carmy blows her off uh to spend time with claire cindy ventures to multiple restaurants around the city to sample desserts uh gathering inspiration she also receives feedback from former colleagues who uh, stress the importance of having a business partner who she can trust. Sydney then returns to the bear and becomes upset when she discovers Carmi has been making decisions without consulting her. Yeah, so this is where we get a lot of background on Sydney, which we yeah. kind of need uh, because these are 30-minute episodes. Yep. We don't know a lot about them. 
that season one didn't show a lot about him. season one's all about her cohesion yep that's all it's about season one was getting to know the kitchen yeah and how it works and this one we get a lot of background on everybody oh yeah big time in a hard way uh but this is this Ooh. is a very important for city i kind of respect city more because of this episode because it definitely made me like her as a character more all, all i know about city based on season one was she went to culinary school had a bad kind of situation happen to her went into catering and ended up being kind of stuck and then ended up working at the beef that's it that's all we know that's all we kind of need to know but it gets kind of more in depth in season one of that one episode where everything breaks and they have yeah. to cook outside so we get to see a skill for her she's a trouble uh, you know trouble solver problem solver so yeah so when she's in the thick of it she's okay yeah that's where she thrives yeah. and and you always need that kind of person on your she team doesn't, but she also doesn't trust any people why doesn't she trust anybody well now we know yep. we know now and she has good fucking reason not to trust anybody and we really need to know that because if you're going to set up some kind of dynamism of a character yeah you need to show that and I also really like the dynamic pull between her believing it with all her heart that this is the right choice yeah and then her father going, but Sid, are you sure? Are you sure? And he's the voice of, not not reason, but voice of sustainability. Yes. So the voice of sustainability is going, Sid, are you sure? And then when she's going around doing these little day-long internships at you know high-class restaurants, she's even kind of getting the vibe at the very end from a good handful of people that are all but saying... Sid, are you sure? And we need that. You know, everybody needs that person in their lives. Yeah. Even if it's like that one person been like, hey, man, are you sure about this guy? Mm-hmm. Hey, I, or you hear about a friend talking to somebody or talking to a girl or a guy or whatever. It's like, hey, are you good with it? That's all that matters. Right. You know, that, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Are you good with it? And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have to come from a negative aspect or anything. It's just like, are you 100%? Because if you're not, you need to really think about it before make any more decisions and yeah they're playing it safe with her and they fucking should because mm-hmm. we both know this business isn't a long-lasting business people come and fucking go in the restaurant business oh yeah you, you can expect to bleed money for that first three yeah. years you're in the restaurant yeah, you're not gonna be fucking gordon ramsay first year you know what i'm saying like so and that kind of plays off later on when we talk about uh, his cousin yeah but but no, this was a great episode, probably one of the better episodes of the season. I would agree. Um, but yeah, and then uh, when she returns back to the bear, she becomes upset when Carmi has been making decisions without consulting her. Because with that, when she was getting feedback uh, from former co- uh, colleagues, uh, stressing the importance of having a business partner she can trust, she's like, well, trust in what way? They're like, well, you know, ensuring that, you know, decisions are being made 50-50. You aren't stepping on his toes. He's not stepping on your toes everything is even and then she comes back and realizes like what he changed the plates or like changed the uh dining set or something like that and she was just like you didn't consult me and he's just like well yeah because these plates were cheaper she's like right but you didn't consult me he's just like okay well it was i had the person on the phone i had to make a decision right then i i are they look fine and she's like yeah they look fine but you didn't consult me and at that moment, you saw her Carmi moment, where you've seen Carmi get really unhinged over the smallest thing. All of a sudden, you saw it with her, but then they defused it with the yeah the little chestnut. Uh, it kind of goes back to the whole uh, that uh, 
a pasta that coca-cola pasta dish she made and just gave it to somebody in the restaurant Mm -hmm. he's like i didn't tell you anything about it because it wasn't the time to tell you about it but because you went ahead and gave it to somebody and that was a ready fucking review now we have a goddamn problem it's like so there is we could talk about this sensibly and it kind of adds to the arrogance of both of them yeah which is kind of fun to watch at least for me yeah it's like because this argument doesn't get resolved until the last fucking episode where they're putting a table together yeah (laughs) this this is how it came to be this is what this whole fucking thing what i love about the second season is none of these conversations really end until the last episode yep and we gotta keep we gotta keep them 100 percent uh, episode four, uh, two months until opening, uh, Carmi learns that Natalie uh, is pregnant. Uh, Richie and Fat continue to lead construction efforts while Sydney begins screening new employees. Uh, meanwhile, Marcus is tasked with developing, developing three unique desserts for the bear. This is my second favorite episode. Yes. Uh, the, the, I'm going to have a lot to kind of talk about on this. Uh, he temporarily leaves his terminally ill mother to travel to Copenhagen uh, to learn uh, from a skilled patriot chef and the uh, two quickly become uh, friends uh, Luca recounts being humbled by his level of talent after working with more skilled chefs implied to be Carmi uh, and how he's now since uh, found a better balance between honing his craft and appreciating life outside the kitchen Marcus is expi- inspired by the experience while growing feelings for Sydney in Denmark that's, yes. all, that's all I know in Danish it means all hell Denmark but like <laughs> um this is my second favorite episode because it's a Marcus one, and we needed a Marcus episode. Yes, I love Marcus. Marcus is the perfect fucking character in this show. He goes to Denmark, and they do a lot of you know sight shoots. You know, like the, this is Copenhagen. This is the capital of Denmark, um, and he meets someone there who is a uh, kind of a, a, a pastry chef. Yeah, but someone who's on the upper echelon of patience and this guy gives marcus everything he needs and not there's no i was waiting for like some negative thing to happen like him just talk down to marcus and just kind of ruin the scene i was too didn't happen because we find out he knows everything about marcus because this turns out to be a carmy situation this is what Carmi's doing. He's setting these people up for success and he's setting them with people who he need they need to be with so like he needs someone who's temperamental to be with Marcus because he tried to be hard on Marcus and Marcus fucking left. Yeah. And all that potential went out the fucking door. Mm-hmm. So I need someone who can be patient. I need someone who's good, but can make him enthusiastic about the thing. So I'm going to set him with this guy yeah. as opposed to his cousin. I need someone that's going to be stern with him and no bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that's who he got. Yep. But this is such a fucking good... And it's a lot about the cooking in this episode. Yeah. A lot of like, hey, this is where the experimentation is. This is how we take terrible flavors and make them taste like a Snickers bar. Like, <laughs> like that's basically what they do. It's like, let me show you what we can do. And it is on that avant-garde bullshit. Yeah. Like, this is where I was getting like the menu kind of vibe. It's just like, it doesn't have to look like that. But it does. I don't need a cannoli with squid eggs. No. But, you know, if it tastes like a fucking Snickers bar, it tastes like a Snickers bar, I guess. I will say uh, another thing that kind of lingered with this is it's it's the whole Chekhov's gun thing. You you show the gun in the first act. You got to fire it by the third. 
I immediately got this sinking feeling when I saw that his mother was like terminally ill. I was like, yeah. Ooh, this isn't gonna end well. And the thing was, I was expecting it to happen sooner. Yeah. I was expecting it to happen in that episode. Yeah. So, like, he was going to get so wrapped up because uh, he started FaceTiming with Sydney, but then he started kind of falling off. Like, he was getting really wrapped up in his inspiration and in his world. I was expecting at that point he was going to be in an area that didn't have signal. Yeah, that, that, that and was, then once he got back to a certain area, like it was gonna be like a walking scene. Maybe he met someone, and it's like all of a sudden he gets like in a certain range, and you're ding, 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 ding. Yeah, he looks. He's like, oh, oh god, I'm getting a. I didn't get any of these met. Oh god, I've got to go. That yeah. kind of thing, where it's like undercuts that beautiful, wonderful, flowery moment with, oh shit, oh shit, I'm not even in the U.S. right now. Fuck. Yeah. Marcus is the one character I would sympathize with overall. He's out of his element. Remember, where did Marcus come from before this? McDonald's. That's it. I'm the shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the man. (coughs) I put the Mick at McDonald's, motherfucker. But like, there's a weird. There is a weird scene Mm -hmm. in this episode where he comes across a Danish man who had fell into a fence fencing material and was really badly injured uh and he uh he kind of saved his life a little bit because this made us in it's in the middle of the night the guy's laid out moaning in pain you know all, all kinds of bad shit could happen oh yeah and he picks them up and there's that language barrier and so you know he picks them up it basically saves this man's life right yeah but after that you know where he's having a hard time learning everything after that moment it's a it's a cathartic moment where when he goes back to that little kitchen, he's got it yep. every time. And that guy was the perfect teacher for him. And I think that's always very important, you know, when you're training somebody to do a job. Mm-hmm. Anytime I've ever trained somebody, you know, I'm very hands-on, positive, 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 until I'm not. <laughs> like, that, that, but I, I try. I, I'm a big believer in the positive right. firsthand. Hey, you didn't get it right this time. Let's let's do it this way. Tell me. If you can think of a better way, let's 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 work through it. Let's work through it. Yeah, and work through it, and work to the point where I'm like, okay, you're not paying attention, you're not focusing. So I'm going to do it, and if you don't do it this way, you can go out the door. Yeah, sorry, you know that's that's just how it is. But he fucking nails it, man. And that's what I loved about his character was he got he got so fucking into it and into it, and he stuck to landing. Yep. And then, you know, another thing that's going on in this is like Carby and Sugar. You know, her saying she's pregnant. I just love that moment. It's just like, don't don't tell anybody. And the wall just comes crashing down. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Yes. Hey. It's just like, God. And you can tell like that, that aggravation in her face. It's like this fucking monstrosity of a group. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of like a, 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 a music manager of like Queen or something. It's just like, oh my God, these fucking assholes. <laughs> Motley Crue's manager at any point. <laughs> hey, three leg, just play the fucking drums, all right? Just shut the fuck up and play the goddamn drums. <laughs> Episode five, pop. Uh, Sydney continues developing the menu with help from Tina, who is thriving in culinary school. However, Tina is troubled when Ebra stops attending. Uh, Natalie convinces Ceresio. Yeah. I 
I'm going to wind up doing that every time. Say Oliver Platt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to expedite permit applications, uh, Claire accompanies Carmi to drop off a liquor license application uh, where the pair bond a bit. Uh, she convinces him to accompany her to a party where Carmi realizes Claire represents uh, the release of enjoy uh, the release and enjoyment he has been searching for, which usually happens when you wind up falling in love with someone. Um, after the party, Tar- Carmi takes Claire to see the restaurant, intruding upon an argument over Richie's stealing electricity from the neighbor's building. Uh, when the restaurant clears, Carmi and Claire share their first kiss. So in this one, it is kind of a jumbled mess, but it's a it's an easy it's an easy one. This is where Tina leaves and goes with a new crowd of people. Yeah. This is very important for her as a character. Because mm-hmm. um, they actually invite her out. Yeah. And that, you know, as bad as people think it is at working a new spot, when you start talking to the people, they are going to be outgoing yeah. generally. You know, there are going to be assholes in the place you go to work, but there are going to be outgoing people. And I think that's very important if you're working somewhere and someone new shows up, be outgoing to them, be, make them feel comfortable because if they're comfortable, they work well. Yep. That's just out. That's just a truth, a fact. Um, and I'm glad to see that with her because she is a hard ass, mm-hmm. but she needs to be. And but she's also she gets prideful, and that's a good thing for her. She needs that. One is the fact that uh, Carmi gave her his knife. Yeah, hey, well, she took his knife. Yeah, yeah but he never it. At some point, he's like, she's like, hey, I forgot to give your knife back. He's like, did I ask for it back? Yeah, that was at the very that's, end. That's the, that, I love that. That's the end of that conversation. You know, it's just like, no, you've earned that. Yeah. You know, that came from the fucking steel mines of heaven. So, yeah, you earned that fucking knife. And the way she, like, you know, does, I think she's, like, cutting fish or something. And that guy comes by. Same thing I said earlier. Positive. Fantastic chef. Yep. That's the best cut I've ever fucking seen in my goddamn life. Keep Keep it on. And now she's prideful again you know so that's very you these people need to be built the fuck up and what i love about richie is <laughs> richie is a gang gangster yeah through and through and fucking sydney's just like we can't be stealing fucking power from our goddamn what they don't even fucking know <laughs> and it's like a sopranos thing which i'm watching right now it's just like you yeah, don't fucking know who gives a shit <laughs> i love that mentality <laughs> i'm surprised they didn't continue the thread that you brought up uh last time we did the review which is uh richie possibly being illiterate yeah so they kind of this they didn't really throw it out the window because they haven't given they never gave examples of him fixing it that's true so they so he he reads what's called restaurant shorthand. Yeah. We know he reads that. Hey, I need this, 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 this. Because he could read the tickets at the end. Uh, yeah, and tickets are written in shorthand. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just Richie's gangster mentality. It's like, mm-hmm. we don't need to follow the fucking rules. And you're like, no, motherfucker, this time you do. <laughs> no, no, this, We're in the big leagues. Yeah, this, is, this isn't your fly-by-night pop shop run by fucking meth heads. This is the show. <laughs> welcome know, to, to the, the fucking show. show yeah and he gets a the next episode i think is the one where he gets that hard hitting but uh actually no the next episode we got a whole lot yeah. to talk about so fun it's very christmasy oh yeah uh, uh, very but, holly and but, jolly but with carby and his girl with the girl he's with i think it was very important for him to see that hey it's okay to step back and breathe and he he kind of does like a, he goes to that party and there's like some networking going on, but he also sees a lot of people from his childhood, from his days in high school, 
And it kind of reminds me of that party episode from episode uh, season one where they're at the kids' party. Mm, yeah, like, yeah. hey, Garby, you were in the restaurant business. What happened? He's like, I'm still in the restaurant business. Ah, oh, you poor fuck. <laughs> you know, it's just Every that, musician felt that way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, How's you your band? We just got off the road with on a tour supporting our new record that came out two months Never ago. Never heard of it. Hey, how's your sister? <laughs> it's that conversation. Oh, that's real good. Never heard of it, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm real proud of you guys. Real proud of you guys. You 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 making the big time, right? Are you cooking for this kid's birthday party? Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Everybody just turned into Jersey Shore. Everybody just turned into fucking Jersey gangsters. But but yeah. So like he's networking actually. You know yeah. he's learning a lot more about the world with, through that kind of lens, and mm-hmm. it kind of pays off for him in a little while, in a little ways. But damn it, Carmi, fucking relax. God damn it, man. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. You know you're in you're in the big leagues. You're trying to make it something. This is a dream, and you don't. You know anybody that's ever had dreams of doing something like that, yeah, or on that level knows that if I don't focus, I will fuck up. And goddamn it, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I've been there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that like for this episode, there was, there was a lot of like him and Claire. Which yeah, th- this be. was one of the low episodes for me. But it was, it was also an exposition episode we need. Yeah. Nah, the next episode, episode six, Fishes. Now, as you've mentioned a few times, 30-minute episodes. This episode was a movie. This was an hour and 30 minutes long. This was, um, say this, a Christopher Nolan movie about Christmas. Yeah. This, this was hard to watch. But just go before we start, Jamie Lee Curtis. Sarah Paulson, Bob Odenkirk, John Mulaney, um, and I'm trying to remember the other guy's name. The guy that plays Shane from The Walking Dead. Oh, right, right. The Punisher. Yeah, yeah. Dalton. John Barathol. Barathol. I don't know who owed favors to who, but goddamn. Yeah, all star cast. All star cast, and they all brought something to it. They're not these cartoon characters. I think the best performance is John Mulaney because he's trying to be like, oh, hey, how you doing? Don't you ever ask me how the fuck I'm doing. He's like, okay. Just, okay, then. <laughs> he's, he's the Ned Flanders of the crew. He really is. And he's just like, okay. And like, they're going into it. This is the Christmas episode. Yes. This is a uh, back in time episode, which we needed to see. Uh, we meet Carmi's mom, mm-hmm. uh, their stepdad, Bob Odenkirk. Um, John Barenthal, the brother, is alive. Shug is just married to that one guy, that total fuck up of her husband, <laughs> which I love him. I love this dumbass so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie, every, everybody's here. You know, our main group of people, the family. Yeah. The family. And this is like, uh, this is set five years ago. Yeah. So, so it's even not even that, that long ago. Yeah. So, so like, Carmi's still on the on the road, you know, being a chef. Uh, I love that Matty Matheson is part of it, even though he's not family. But then we find out Richie's not really family either. Yeah, he's cousin. That's all that we just assume that. Yeah, he's probably like their mom's nephew. Yeah, and he's like no, not exactly. Yeah, but they're just part of it. Yeah, he's just distant cousin. Yeah. 
but we see uh, Sarah Paulson and her husband John Mulaney. Yeah. Which when I saw Sarah Paulson, I'm just like, that's a fucking pull. <laughs> but then I was like, oh wait, it is FX, so yeah, you could get Sarah Paulson. And then also her. went like I was watching a few scenes, and then I finally went. Is that fucking John Mulaney? Like I didn't immediately recognize him. No, it is. It's that. It's that new John Mulaney who just got out of rehab, and it's just like, yep, that's what we need to see. Yep, this scruffy looking motherfucker. It is. He plays it so fucking well. I love. This was my favorite episode of the season. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same. Hands down. It's my favorite two episode season. <laughs> yes. This should have been like. I kind of wish they had waited to release this in november that way the christmas episode actually would have fell around christmas just to make everybody really uncomfortable <laughs> and uh jamie lee curtis is the mother donna perfect amazing let's make this make the scream queen the most dynamic character who makes everyone uncomfortable that see here's the thing it's a very long episode but it's not like there's a lot of moments for us to discuss because it's a lot of drawn out talking over each other noise in the background it's thanksgiving yes it's a, it's a christmas thanksgiving and that's what that is yes hey what, how, did you get a chance to talk to your cousin yet no 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 i didn't have a chance to talk to oh, mary yet but no 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 we're not talking about that right now it's, it's a whole bunch yeah. of that and then like the the bells ringing there the timer's going off the back you need to get that out of the office. which one ma we got two fucking racks here and then, and, then, and then it's like any little thing Jamie Lee Curtis would fly off the handle over the smallest thing and you start really realizing oh she's not right she definitely has a mental problem and this family is doing the absolute best they can to pacify yeah they're just trying to they're they're ignoring it and they're also letting it slide uh, another person that showed up in the show is Jillian Michael yeah which is a, a character from community uh, great actress she's Richie's wife and this is where we first meet Richie's wife, mm-hmm. and she's you know she's out there. She's got she's pregnant, uh, and Oliver Platt is is there as always as the. I'm assuming that's Jamie Lee Curtis's brother. Okay, it seemed like they were. This is what their that's their uncle, you know. But it's also keep in mind Oliver Platt's character and Richie are in kind of a seedy business as mm-hmm. well. Because that's why Sugar asked him, hey, can you expedite some of these? Oh, he's involved in some corruption. He's involved in some weird shit. Uh, that's why he really wants the building. Yeah. Um, and really, and Richie really wants a job from him. Yeah. Um, some quick things. Uh, one of my favorite things was uh, Matty Matheson and his buddy, I think it's his brother, are trying to pitch this idea to Oliver Platt. And he's like, uh, hold on. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And it walks away. It just walks away. And that's that's perfect. I think, is that good? I think we got it. That's a yes. Oh, like, yes. That's, a, that's not a no. That's not a no. <laughs> it's like, not a no. It's just like, these fucking idiots. <laughs> and then they tell it to John Mulaney. And John Mulaney, I love his what he says. He's like, you know what? I'll give you the money because I'm not going to see you for a year. And I just want to see you guys do something. <laughs> and like he's very subtle. He's like, I think you guys are hilarious. I don't think you're going to make any money, but you know what? I'll give you the money anyway. And I just love that about his character. It's just like, you guys are fucking dumb as shit, but I want to see you burn. (laughs) This is what happens when you give idiots money. Don't don't enable these dumb motherfuckers. Don't do that. Bob Odenkirk, though, as their stepdad. Yeah. But not even their stepdad, just the guy that's married to their mom. 
It's fantastic. This guy's coming off uh, fucking Break, uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Mr. Nobody. Like, what a range on this oh, motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, but we see Carmi coming back, and his mom kind of grilling him a little bit. So it's like, you know, I had to ask, beg you to come back. He's like, no, mom, you didn't beg me to fucking come back. He's like, but let me help you, blah, blah, blah. And this is where he starts, you know, kind of devolving from the Carmi we know to the Carmi of the family. Because if you notice real quick, all these people are monsters when they're not in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. They're degenerate assholes. <laughs> Even Sarah Paulson. Oh, yeah, like, every one of them. Even Corners Carmi is just like, hey, you'll just, you could stay up with us in New York if you need. And just like that, that advice alone is damn near treason. Yeah. <laughs> You're all in Chicago, for one. And it's such a fantastic you know, dynamic between all of them that when it goes down toward the end, it just crashes and burns. Oh, yeah. Because again, so it's like, uh, a, the whole theme of the uh, dinner was um, Feast of the Seven Fishes. It's an Italian uh, tradition. Um, they try to tell the story a few times. It doesn't go anywhere. No. <laughs> because they can't tell a simple story because no one can shut the fuck up. Nope. And all of that just keeps boiling and coming to a head. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Donna, uh, keeps having miniature freakouts in the kitchen like every few hours. You know, it's getting worse and worse. She's exiting herself, you know, and there's heavy family talks and drama. And it all to- comes to a head with a fork. Yeah, but before we get to that, because that's that's a big part of that episode is I noticed something very quickly that I didn't notice in season one till now. They'll be having a conversation and another person just keeps entering the kitchen. Yeah. And one is uh, Richie's wife. She's not feeling well. Uh, They're looking for Sprite. They don't have Sprite. Carby is literally talking to his mother. And Carmi just stops and like, you know what? I'll make you some Sprite. Yeah. I can just make some. And then the conversation just does a full right turn like nothing happened. And then it's just like, oh, you could just make fucking Sprite, you piece of shit. All this fans. And it's like, Richie, shut the fuck up. <laughs> just shut the fuck up. If you want to value your goddamn life, shut the fuck yeah. up. And he makes her Sprite from scratch. <laughs> and I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> What the fuck just happened? It's just like these weird David Blaine magic tricks are happening all throughout the fucking episode. And we're just like, I had to watch it twice. Like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm missing something. I'm nah, not. Bitch, this made fucking Sprite, man. Good culinary expert. He's, he's about to make fucking ranch next. Yeah, he's going to make it from scratch. But before you get to the fork episode, or the fork episode, uh, before the forks part is Bob Odenkirk. Saying something to their brother. And it's like, you're a loser. You're, you're a loser. nothing. You keep talking about the same goddamn story we've heard a thousand fucking times. And I could see that happening at a Thanksgiving or a Christmas. Oh, yeah. You fucking loser. You're coming up here talking about this. Because it's also the same story we heard one yep. from Richie about the, the Boston tickets or whatever. And the only levity, even we as an audience have heard no. the story a lot. And the only levity we get is when Suge's husband shows up with the fucking tuna casserole. And this is where Carmi turns into one of the family. He turns off all that professionalism and he looks his brother-in-law in the face. He's like, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> are you trying to ruin my goddamn life? 
why why are you attacking me right now yeah and it's just like i watched it i'm just like and he's looking he's looking up yep and it's like yeah karma's gonna fucking cut you yep <laughs> why, why would you do, it's called seven fishes why did you bring an eighth fish <laughs> wow well, I, I just don't understand the whole big do, do you hate me no and no i don't hate that's, you that's an argument <laughs> statement i've ever fucking heard of one why do you hate me yeah what why do you hate me I just wanted Pepsi, motherfucker. <laughs> Sir, this is Wendy's. It's sugar. Same same mentality as the family. Just takes that shit. You fucking goddamn idiot. Just yeah. And chucks that shit out. Do not let her see that. <laughs> she takes it outside and throws it. I'm just like, God damn, these people are monsters. They're fucking animals. Savages. <laughs> and then we get to the fork scene. The fork scene. I love this. He's like, I'm fucking... And he just throws it yeah and it's very simple because they're all waiting for the mom yeah that's that's what we need we gotta wait for the matriarch of the family to come out because she's, she's already had another meltdown and she's gone upstairs she, yeah she, she's having a panic attack basically and she's that 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 uh that weird like it's almost like a jersey like new york mom mm-hmm. why don't you fucking love me <laughs> Huh? Alex, Alex, why would you but, hurt me like but, this? But I do love you, Mom. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. I make this beautiful fucking meal. I um, know. We, we appreciate We all appreciate it. We love you. We I appreciate so hard. But we appreciate you and we love you. No, you fucking don't. You want me to die? <laughs> yeah. Like, God damn it. Like, who, who the fuck said that? <laughs> you're thinking it. I know you're fucking thinking it. It's like, God fucking damn it. No well, winning. No, there's no winning. And all this is happening downstairs in the dining room where Bob Odenkirk is about to be killed by Sean Baird and I'm just like it's going to take every motherfucker to stop this and here she comes mm-hmm. but the worst person I felt in this whole episode was Sugar. yeah she made the mistake hey it are you okay and you could see Carmi's mind just go don't God damn. And you see her, and you see like Sarah Paulson's just like, God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Sugar, I don't need your goddamn help because Sugar's treated lesser than all of them yeah. for some fucking reason. There's always that one kid that needs to be put down, and she's the one. Whenever, yep. whenever there's a dynamic of three or more kids in a situation, there's one kid who's not up to snuff for that parent. So, yeah, that's her. Yeah, and I felt so fucking terrible because in season one, she's the best of all of them because she's not in the kitchen. Yep. <laughs> she's not ruining her goddamn life. But uh, it, it, this is just National Lampoon's suicidal Thanksgiving. Like <laughs> this, this is all it is. It's like if if you're the opposite of a fun Christmas vacation. Yeah, this is it. No, a- a- excellent episode, t- top tier. This this made me go, okay, this might be better than season one. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is also fantastic, but then after that, I feel like it really takes a dip. Uh, the next episode is Forks, in which Richie is uh, sent by Carmi to ever an upscale fine dining restaurant for a week as education. Uh, he is deeply skeptical of the restaurant and is annoyed by having to wake up before dawn for this uh just to meticulously clean forks. Uh, but after seeing how dedicated the retro- restaurant staff are as their 
the restaurant staffs are to their customers, uh, Richie had to change a fart and becomes enthusiastic and learns to expedite a busy dinner service. Uh, when the week comes to a close, Richie is sad to leave and inquires about staying on permanently. Before leaving, he meets with the owner, Terry, who recounts the origins of the restaurant and how she overcame her personal setbacks. Terry adds that Carmi believes in Richie and assures him that people uh, assures him that his people skills will get him far. This is a very good episode. Very, very so good he's episode. He's going to become what's called a stager. Yeah. And this is very, uh, it's, uh, it's a French brigade uh, style of restaurant, which is brought up in season one again by Sydney, who Ibrahim's like, I like that I was in, Ibrahim was in the army. <laughs> so you like structure. Yeah. But it is a very, everyone has one job. You need to be best at that job above all else. Yep. And I need you to be best at the person next to you's job as well, just in case. Uh, and it starts with the simplest thing. Clean forks. Yep. That's your job. There and are many, clean them well. These are your forks. There are many like it, but these forks are yours. So it's a very militaristic way of doing things. You know, this is how the military, you know, beats the shit out of you really, mentally. Is It's like, pick up your gun, take it apart, put it back together, clean it, clean it again. Is that dust on the fucking... Is that dust on the site? How are you going to kill the enemy when there's dust on the goddamn site? Like, it's just like, it's that mentality. It's, it's, it's this horrific idea. Uh, but he gets in this groove because he's able to take that confrontation with the main guy main stager and they can play off each other yeah and some one of the things he learns is um i think it's like the second or third second or third day he goes into a uh, a meeting uh and it's the meeting is like hey we got two people coming it's a, a teacher who's been saving up a lot of money uh, we went through their Instagram, went through their Facebook, and this is where I think where new technology really comes into a good light, uh, which is all negative <laughs> lately. Uh, but hey, they looked at Instagram posts, they looked at Facebook, and they're talking about hey, they're excited, they've saved up all this money. I don't want to see a goddamn bill on that table. Mm-hmm. That was the best fucking thing I heard because even Richie's like, that's all right. That's what that that's the way it could be. And dude, they fucking played it perfectly down to every little thing and even him like learning other people's jobs he's like yeah. hey well what's the next exit well if you're good enough to clean the forest it might get you on spoons and i'm just like holy shit yep. you fucking asshole but no that's what it came to be and he starts getting like the the second stager guy the main guy he's like oh yeah i had a fucking problem dude i had substance abuse problems you know did all this did that and hey and things happen it is what it is i just found a purpose yeah and you know he was he was a doctor or a nurse he went from hospital to hospitality and richie kind of understands that now and he learns and that's the best thing about this character is he learned to be better richie learn richie learn <laughs> richie was uh richie learn <laughs> chris is actually doing sign language for folks i can't see mm-hmm. our person learn <laughs> Or learn. <laughs> I've been trying to decide more lately because I want to meet a deaf girl. Uh, get my one third to a Helen Keller. Um, oh God damn it! She's got disability money, <laughs> but uh, nah, she's not going to hear this. Uh, <laughs> so many jokes and puns. Oh God! But no, I, fantastic episode, and yeah, it, it was nice seeing. I liked seeing Richie finally get one. My, my biggest like takeaway with this was Richie didn't realize he was talking to Terry, the owner. Yeah. 
the whole fuck conversation. She's like, "Oh no, I just come in early," and he's showing her. He's she's showing him how to prep mushrooms a, a weird way, and all this. And it isn't until like the very last second. He's like, "Oh wait, that's the goddamn owner. That's who I needed to talk to." <laughs> yeah. Well, with the pan away shot, you see a photo in the uh, hallway. And it's Carmi and the guy from Denmark. Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh, that's how Carmi's been able to do this, facilitate this, is he's using connections from his past ex- past experiences. And this is how he's making his team better. Yeah. And that is the way you do it. And fantastic. I love the little – it's like an Easter egg almost. Yeah, it is. Um, but – It's like a deviled egg. But yeah, he becomes better. Yep. Just and it shows off in a kind of a pretentious way when they're doing interviews, which I love later on. But fantastic episode, and, and I like how after that he's just like, "I'm a suit guy now." Oh yeah, because he he, he, he takes pride in himself now. Yeah, well, he started doing that like, like the first, like by the, the second or third day. Yeah, he's he's up there. Mm-hmm. He's up there. Even like Richie, we need a deep dish pizza. All right, I'm on it. Gone, and he's running in a suit like James Bond, because that's his, that's what his job needs to be. That's what he needs to be at that time. Yep. And what does he do? Hundred percent performance. One hundred percent of the time. Oh no! Present it to the table, asshole. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Bam. <laughs> and like he puts a flare on it, which is kind of fun. it's campy <laughs> as fuck, but it's fun. I did find it funny though that like the restaurant served another restaurant's pizza, and all they did was. Cut it, cut it out. Cut a big circle in the center and then, like, put that on the plate. Yep. Yeah. But, but it's also, like, uh, an experience. Too. It is, but still, it's just like that, that felt like a little bit of a weird thing for a restaurant to do or, yeah. like, integrity wise. Babish does that. Babish does that in one of his episodes because oh, yeah. that's a, bit, a big inspiration for a guy who cooks. Gee. Is, is the bear season two. Even Pat Oswald made fun of it. Yes, yes. It's like it's hilarious. <laughs> So yeah, th- this to me though that that felt like the last strong episode. Uh, the last three kind of left me wanting a little bit. Uh, number eight, Bellinese, uh Ten days before opening, Bolognese. Uh, ten days before opening, uh, Carmi and Sydney are panicking over their inability to pass the fire suppression test. Uh, Ebra returns and uh, reconciles with Tina, and he agrees to take over the restaurant's takeout sandwich window. Uh, Richie, too, returns with a newfound sense of purpose. Uh, Marcus then returns from Copenhagen with his new dessert menu. Uh, Richie apologizes to Natalie for the way he treated her, and the pair begin interviewing front of house candidates while Sydney begins to see uh, Claire as a threat to Carmi's focus. Uh, Fack remembers that Michael once considered destroying the restaurant to uh, commit insurance fraud and realizes Michael disabled the fire suppression unit. Uh, Fack fixes it in time. They pass the test, allowing them to officially open. Carmi, now realizing he loves Claire, makes her dinner. Yeah, this is a, uh, a cohesion episode. Everybody needs to get right Yeah, with each other before we open and this is the perfect example of how we need to do it i forget i'm trying to remember the term he uses because it's a derogatory term uh i think it's called a a a jewish fix which is when you're trying to commit fraud oh yeah and they're like richie you can't say that but that's what it is (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a it's a fix yeah he wanted because michael wanted the place to burn down so he can get the money that was the whole goal um <coughs> he really was the Punisher. But like the whole thing about Carmi cooking her dinner was she had offhandly said, I've never had someone cook me dinner before. 
Yep. So this a and lot of, every man hears that as a challenge. Yeah, but it's also like this is a whole kind of crux of the whole season was finishing conversations episodes later. <laughs> you know yes. what I'm saying? Like because he at no point does Karmi Con- acknowledge that and say, "Oh no, that's terrible. Let me take you home tonight and take you dinner tonight." No, he he's going to plan something because he's a psycho. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Sydney, I, I love how Sydney is the only support this place has left mm-hmm. because uh, I believe it's uh, Natalie and Richie that are doing the interviews. And this is where we see Richie use that newfound knowledge. That fork has been wrong this whole goddamn time and she didn't fix it. No, we're not hiring her. Yeah. And it's and, like, what the fuck? Are and you even Natalie was just like, all right, all right. Like, damn it. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, okay, well, respect. And then he starts showing it to Sydney where he's just like fucking with those Sharpies. And it's just like, even Sydney's like, yeah, I think he's. But hey, I liked it. Yep. Uh, and I, this is a bad episode where Marcus tries to ask Sydney out. Yeah. Which I loved. And, and it got real weird and awkward. Yep. When it always does in these kind of situations. This ain't a fucking Applebee's where everybody's sucking and fucking each other. Like, this is, this is, this is a goddamn restaurant, okay? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I liked uh, the whole ongoing thing of the fire suppression system. I love anything that... Um, builds tension. Um, yeah, that builds tension, and also, like, any moment with um, Manny Matheson. Yeah. A- anytime he's on screen, it's great. Well, so. he's just standing there, and Carmen's on the phone with Sydney, and he's talking to her, and he's fucking with the electrical. Zzz, zzz, don't fuck. Stop fucking doing that. What the fuck are you doing? God damn it. God yeah. damn it. Oh, motherfucker. But we do get... There is an important thing that happens in this episode, which kind of throws Carmi off his game. He has a conversation with Oliver Platt's character. And what he's... Descri- he's describing a baseball situation. Uh, he's talking about the Bartman, which is the most controversial thing in baseball history, if you don't know. Hey, uh, Carumba. Yeah. The Cubs, the Cubs were on their way to the World Series. A guy hits a foul ball. A Cubs fan reaches up, grabs the ball. The Cubs don't get an out. The other team scores. They lose, and they don't go to the finals to break the curse of the Cubs. They blame this and almost murdered this man over catching a foul ball. How stupid that sounds is exactly how it is. Yeah. But the way Oliver Platt describes it is it's not his fault. It was because blah, 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 missed fucking first base. And it was really his fault. But people don't talk about him. They just talk about the fuck up they see. And he's basically telling Carmen, he's like, if you don't focus up on this, you're going to be that guy and get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very poignant, like, sports rep. Like, for me, knowing that story kind of hit almost like, oh my God, you just told him the most psychological. <laughs> damning thing you could to a man who's already on the brink of finding happiness and you basically turned this heroin addict into a heroin addict again like, that's basically what he did like he he mentally broke Carmi. yeah and that's why Carmi goes down a downward spiral yep and then rolling into episode nine uh the bear is setting up for its soft opening for family and friends only uh sydney feels pressured to impress her father uh which that seems to be kind of an ongoing thing but it it winds up working itself out in the end. It never winds up being any sort of major. Yeah. They, they never had any sort of blow up. Uh, Carmi begins to second guess things, uh, causing him to forget to schedule work on a replacement handle for the walk-in refrigerator, which comes to bite him in the ass later. Uh, Natalie informs Carmi that she has invited her mother, which doesn't go over very well. Not exactly, um, no. 
Uh, Richie and Natalie see the restaurant is fully booked for two weeks, but need to increase reservations in order to stay profitable. Um, Cecilio uh, delivers uh, Carmi the official business license, and then Carmi apologizes for, uh, to Sydney for his lack of focus and gives her a custom chef's coat. Uh, with the team prepared and the restaurant ready to launch, Rip- Richie opens the bear for business. This had like the biggest like. <coughs> fucking hype moment yeah in the series like it is it is kind of like the whole episode as a whole isn't fun yeah but, but it is like a hype moment when they're standing by the door you ready yeah i'm ready it's, li- it's literally those three hours before opening yeah it is and it's the build it's the yes chef it's the menu situation it's yep. just like everybody clap one <laughs> one two three yes chef it is just like i need a double cheeseburger on the fly <laughs> but it, it, it is that it is a very intense moment but it's also like hey let's another thing he did was in this episode was he showed her the options of food that uh, that we find out about Carmi can draw yeah and he's like she's like uh hold on uh before we talk about this food you drew all this and like she doesn't know Carmi could do that and it's fucking hilarious he's like, oh yeah yeah he just plays it off because he doesn't want to play off he doesn't want to be like he does, he's not prideful of what he does he doesn't think he's good enough which bites him in the ass as a as a character you know because that's that's all he's trying to do is prove that he's best enough but he'll never do that because he's doing it to his goddamn self um but yeah it's is there's a lot of stuff just going on in the background that yeah. really plays ahead into the next episode but but as soon as that door lock click let's rock let's do it bam 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 it's acdc song i think yeah it was actually yeah yep and then the final episode of the season the bear on family and friends night richie runs the front of the house while sydney runs the kitchen issues begin to mount and the restaurant is out of forks classic uh sydney and marcus are focused uh are forced to assist when a line cook disappears and uh, and the walk-in fridge handle breaks trapping carmy inside yeah so this not only is it friends and family night this is the test run night we need to see how we do as a group how fast we can move how good we can move and the whole time richie is writing things down from the front end nat sugar whatever is doing stuff in the back end but they're all just making notes because this isn't really the one that's going to make or break them this is the one that's going to fix them and the next night's going to make or break them because they have to get everything fixed and then we're ready to rock um and it's a classic, you know. I've been to openers like uh, I worked at a, a comedy zone in my hometown. We built that place up from scratch. Like we painted the walls, redid the kitchen, did all this work. Yeah. And it's like, all right, guys, you ready to test this out? Fuck, we'll find out. And you know, I was uh, I was the cook for the sides. You know, I was making sure all the side items were prepared, prepped, and ready to go. While there were two guys doing expediting and cooking, so I know what that's like. It's like, hey, doors are open, motherfucker. Yeah. Preservation started eight. Good. So fucking find out. <laughs> and that that was our test run for that little restaurant and mm-hmm. in that little town. But even then, we felt the pressure very quickly. Oh yeah. Because you know we have a lot of wait staff who are just pulling pulling stuff, pulling stuff, and that's something I kind of noticed real quick. There wasn't a lot of wait. There was no wait staff. No. It was car. It was uh. It was Richie. Uh, Matheson and Shug that are running a lot of stuff, but yeah, they were also having like uh, those new chefs mm-hmm. running stuff too. So, plus, they had the three X batters on the side. I want to talk about Josh for a quick second. Josh is the perfect example of a new hire out the gate because 
they're like, when can you start now? You're hired. That's basically where well, they. Well, I, I figured you meant like, you know, next week. Yeah, but like he was like, I could start right now. And this, that's what got him hired. Well, the reason he could start so early is because he smokes crack. And I love Marcus. He's like, hey, we need to find Josh. We will, we will. And then Marcus, go find Josh. He goes out back and finds this dude smoking crack. And he's like, it makes me better. It makes me faster. He's like, uh, don't let me go. I'm like, and I love Marcus is like, well, I got to run this by them. I can't fire you. I'm going to run it by them. And the guy's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's an SNL. Oh, Perfect okay. fucking sketch comedy actor. And I just love seeing him with that weird fucking Joker smile. But the handle on the fridge door gets broken. Sorry, I'm trying to move this along a little bit. We're at two hours now. <laughs> <laughs> so door fr- uh, the handle on the door snaps. This was the moment I kind of lost it a little bit. Lost the plot some. Because it feels like... I don't know. I've not studied one of these door handles. Feels like someone could have jimmied something in there. Well, I thought so. Every freezer I've been in, because I also have that fear of being stuck in one, has a uh, a push knob, which pushes the lock mechanism. And I'm guessing it's broke, because like that's a very important thing. That you know, it's a cooler. Yeah. There was a girl that died at a Wendy's not long ago because I remember the that freezer like shut and broke. Uh, what the fuck? Like, it no. didn't make sense. No. So, with Carmi now being trapped inside the freezer, that was the moment I kind of disconnected some. I'm like, okay. Well, how, all right, it's going to be kind of a stressful thing to get him out, and he's going to kind of swoop in last minute and, you know, really pull it through, you know, when something bad goes down. And that did not really happen. Uh, right. So while Carmi is trapped inside, uh, Richie successfully takes over with the expediting, which was awesome to see. <laughs> Loved seeing that moment. Um, which I figured, like, okay, if we got to throw him in the freezer so Richie gets his moment, cool. As long as Carmi comes back out, we'll be good. Um, let's see. Uh, Pete, Natalie's husband, sees Donna outside, but she refuses to go in, feeling that Pete. she does not deserve to witness her children's success. Uh, Pete accidentally reveals Natalie's pregnancy to Donna before she leaves. Fucking Pete. Goddamn Pete. Fucking Pete. To quote Carmen, why are you trying to ruin my life? Yeah. <laughs> why are you trying to ruin my life? All I had to do was put the fucking hammer down. No, you old bitch. I'm dragging you in this goddamn restaurant. Yeah. This is happening. That's all you had to say. And all she say is she does that manipulative fucking just just tell me you forgive me so I can leave. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, bravo. Yeah. She get an Emmy for this, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, that that was a heartbreaking moment. And I love I love Pete trying to keep it together. That was the moment that almost broke me. Yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's basically crying. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nothing. Nothing. You're, you're bright. You're perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just, you know, up, bringing her up, you know, up. And she's like getting emotional. She's like, oh my God. What's, what's she say? And it's like, this is going to come to a head in a bad way. But at least God, at least, at least Christ, we don't see it until next season. <laughs> yeah. But no, that, that was that was a real moment for me like that was one of those sobering ones for me where it's like i was getting goosebumps watching like when he went back in and like had to realize that like she didn't tell her mom that she was pregnant and like him rationalizing and dealing with that like it was is it a me thing is it a her is like does it know but can't bring it up but is like 
kind of devastated because, because she, sees, she sees it through the window that she, her daughter is pregnant and it's just like that's how she found out yeah that's shitty it is and it's like it's kind of and he was given like that kicked golden retriever look yeah. and that's what hurt about because he's he's one of those just super nice guys he's, that's he's, what he is. he's a dog yeah and it's just like you don't want to see the golden retriever hurting no. you know you don't want to see the kicked dog still going but you're my master right you know you don't want to see that you know it was it was a very sad moment and, and then it, they followed it with another sad moment <laughs> but yeah it, well then immediately after uh with still being trapped in the fridge carmy begins to spiral and goes on a monologue about his relationship with claire has just ruined his focus in the kitchen and this entire time he's been warned hey claire's in the dining room and he's just like okay cool i'll be out there in a little bit and he's just like no go out there now he's like, i will be out there in a minute i've got shit going on which at that moment i'm even sitting here going like my man <laughs> he knows what's up fucking finish the service and then come out and see your friends it's like fucking playing a show come out and hang out with your friends after you're finished and take your set shit off the set so he knows it's coming and he winds up still getting trapped in there and he kind of this is the part that was kind of sad for me and it almost kind of felt like a toss away i've been in moments when i've been just discussing with my guy friends and just getting some stuff off my chest and sometimes you say some shit like that but sometimes you say it to get it off your chest to clear your mind so you can think more clearly rationalize compartmentalize things and move forward and that's really what he was doing. He was feeling stressed out about opening a restaurant, falling madly in love with this girl that's been in his life basically, you know, on and off of for, you know, ever since high school. It's a lot to process all at one time. And he's sitting here going, well, what is the most important? Something's been pulling me away. I don't know. And her reaction to overhearing him doing that in his moment of extreme stress and bewilderment that like the entire service went through when he wasn't there for his own opening night i i feel like all of that was just mishandled so poorly Oh, it's a perfect example of out of context because she's only hearing part of it. I'm talking about the writing. Oh no, not, not the situation and her reaction, but just like that—that's what we gave the character. We we locked him in a fridge, and then in his moment of stress, you have his girl leave him because he was just kind of venting and you know, kind of giving a little bit of mental release. Like I think, I think it's because it's so raw. Because you got to remember, he's been—he's in that freezer for a very long time. Yeah. And at first, he doesn't say anything. He's not talking. He's like he's just yelling, "What's going on? What's going on?" Well, and it also has to do with the big blow up with him and Richie too. Yeah. And while this is happening, the restaurant's running without him. His dream is going forward, whether he likes it or not. And now we have the people he's built up run his dream for him. So immediately, if I told you your band's good, but you're stuck in the green room with a dog, yeah. Oh yeah, and, but no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Morrison's covering you on the stage. Yeah, what? <laughs> what? Fuck, yeah, he's been doing stand up for the last uh, forty five fucking minutes. It's fucking, fucking what? what? And like your mind, and you're not saying anything other than get me the fuck out of here. And then just imagine Jerry being like, "Hey man, how's it going?" 
so yeah that's what's happening exactly and and all of that is fine and of course he had to have the big blow up between he and richie and that worked good but just i don't know i am all for it's the, also the, the he doesn't have awareness well no I'm, I'm all for the down and out character not really catching the break you know, it's part of the reason why I dig Peter Parker Spider-Man. No matter how hard he tries, he gets little moments of happiness, but overall, oh, people Peter, kills. But Peter Parker gets the fucking short end of the stick time and time again. But it all feels like it's justified moments of when his when his life gets the smackdown. It didn't feel like through Carmi's actions he deserved the reaction that was written and the way it was perceived by everyone involved. I think to, for me, this was a consequence of him constantly thinking that he can't be happy. This was the consequence of constantly devaluing himself over and fucking over that when he finally lets it out, people are going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because that's the big problem of the show. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Ibrahim, why'd you leave? What the fuck is I just I don't I don't know. It's like okay, fine, come and get back in the house. Yeah. But like, hey, Richie, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck? Is wrong with you? Hey, I figured it out. I'm good. Let's do this. He said, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" We got it. We figured it out. You know. And they're all managing their shit, but he's just letting it out in a non-constructive way, and he needs to do that. Yeah. Because that's the bit. That's his character flaw. Is he doesn't know how to be happy. And this is the result. Relatable. But like this is this is the this is the consequences of not realizing it's okay to be fucking happy. It didn't help that Oliver Platt told him the fucking baseball story, yeah. which ruined his mind. Because I mean, I was just like, "What the fuck are you telling him?" <laughs> and and it did play through really well. I like the ending of it, where uh, Carmi is playing a, a voicemail that he missed from Claire from earlier in the day, where she confessed that she loved him. That was a nice little gut punch to this it. This is all. also the shoe dropping on the whole cast. Yeah. Every little thing, like Cindy realizing she has this weird PTSD that she needs to work toward. Yep. Because, hey, hey, set the clock five minutes. Richie, you're here. Because I can't do it. Because I'm having a fucking panic. Everyone's dealing with their shit. Marcus's mother died. Well, yeah, that's what that's <laughs> what this part was going up here. Is uh, So, uh, Carmi's hearing the voicemail from Claire as he's finally getting freed from the freezer. Um Marcus receives a gift from Luca, uh, and then it kind of pans down to see numerous missed calls, panicked missed calls from his mother's nurse, and then Sydney feels the embodiment by the by the successful opening night, and this was the moment I immediately had a problem with the show. I should be saying, and episode eleven, yada yada. I'm all for leaving on a cliffhanger, but this is like literally like the bread was three-fourths done. There's one more episode here that you can still leave on cliffhangers and set up for another season. It really felt like I'm just missing an episode, like production just wrapped too soon because I don't feel like having an entire season break... And us opening with Marcus learning about his mother or Marcus dealing with his mother and then opening with Carmi dealing with the Claire issue and then Sydney dealing with the restaurant. 
that just feels too misjointed unless they're going to literally pick up the next day or immediately after service which that would also be weird for them to try to film a year later it feels like there's just too much that was happening for them to cut it for it to be the next season i, I don't know it i think they're my my idea of what's going to happen next is going to be a time jump and that's and that's what i'm kind of saying i don't if we're going to do a time jump i would have really liked one more episode an episode of carmy having to deal with the repercussions of his outburst sydney dealing with maybe imposter syndrome a little bit richie maybe getting a little bit too big of a head marcus learning about his mom and them ending on all of that you know ending like like a big music montage like you know in marcus on like a really sad place maybe he leaves again i could see like i said i could see this playing out in like a maybe like a five-year jump or like a two-year jump one year let's say one year keep but it's also it was just this week they announced the season three so I can understand the trepidation. And I'm very on. excited about that. So everything going on, the writers. It's like, yeah, I could see why there's like, hey, guys, um, let's put it on hold. Let's leave the cliffhanger. I think it it does build. Like, now you're really going to watch season three. Cause now oh, you're yeah. Invested. So I think the cliffhanger is just too big. Yeah, like, like, am I crazy? It really does feel like we could have gotten one more episode, been satisfied, and still left on a good enough cliffhanger to be interested in season also, three. This is also the problem with shows now compared to when we were kids, where it was like 20-episode seasons. Yeah. It's a 30-minute show. This should be 10 more fucking episodes. Yeah. Because it's not an hour-long miniseries, like series, like it should be. Well, but also, it's like, okay, I'll use like an action thing as an example. Imagine if all season you were building up to an explosion. And literally, the end of the season is the boom. You were waiting for the boom. Well, now you want to see a little bit of the aftermath. And then we can take a break of the story and then move forward. This ended on the boom. And then goes, tune in next year for the conclusion. It's like, no, no, I need like... What, where, where did the dust settle? Where, where did this debris fall? This actually kind of happened in feature-length film with The Hobbits, because like The Hobbit, the second movie, ends with the dragon destroying everything, and that's where it stops. Right. Third movie is when they kill the dragon, and like the first 15 minutes. And then it's the battle of five armies or whatever that they could do, yeah. the aftermath. And see, all of that just feels like a little cheap. Yeah, it can't be, but... And this is this doesn't take away from how great the season no, is, but no. it was just me well, sitting here going it, like, it, it is I just I just saw the kaboom. Don't make me wait a year to see where the rubble landed. Like I'll be satisfied seeing where some of the pieces landed, and then like, what do we do after the explosion? I the, think it also depends. the explosion is the important thing. Yes, now show me what happens afterward. I think it's also like how they're going to tell the story in season three because I have seen series that do leave a big cliffhanger. And then the season opener ends with a scene from the last episode. Yes. And that is fucking horrific when you do shit like that because I'm like, well, now I gotta watch to find out how it started. You know what I'm saying? Like Hannibal did this with season two. Like, hey, how does Hannibal season two start? Uh, Hannibal Lecter's killing an FBI agent. That's his best friend. Well, no, 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 no. They're best friends. Why would he do that? It's like, watch the season. And then it, like, it, shows, it shows like half the fight. And then it's like, one year earlier. God, fuck 
you did. Like, and then you watch the progression of their hate build. Yeah. But like, I think that's what's going to happen when they're at the grave of their mom. And then it's just like builds and builds until we see her die. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I could High see that happen. Me. And you know what? And they could do that with giving us one more fucking episode anyway. Uh, FX, you fickety bitch. But no. You're going to really hate the Rescue Me reboot. <laughs> uh, don't tease me like that. Dennis I don't Larry want just that to happen. I don't know. That, that was a perfect series. That's one of those. It ended at the right time. It ended the right way. Don't bring it back. Do not do it. Because I'm actually starting to rewatch the series again, too. I'll be back this brand new Oh, man. But you got a nice thick thick episode of You're the welcome. couch potatoes this week yes we finally finished watching the bear and with both of us having kitchen experience and you know not so partridge family-esque lives felt like we kind of related to this show a little bit <laughs> in more ways than maybe we would like to admit but for this episode of the couch potatoes i've been alex and chris do you have any sort of final thoughts for us? I'll be quick. So the alien situation is really is really kind of kind of dynamic and like go back to the three chickens thing real quick. So like, <laughs> oh, God damn it. No. You've been listening to the Something Good Network. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram and check out the other great shows on the network. Link is in the episode description.